This episode of Dopey is brought to you by our friends at Aloe Recovery. Located in sunny Southern California in Malibu and Silver Lake, Aloe was created by our friend Bob Forrest and his friends Evan, Bob, and Jared. And Aloe was created as a place to treat addicts with compassion and connection rather than control. They have decades and decades and decades of combined experience in treating addiction and co-occurring mental health disorders, including severe mental illness. They make sure that when you detox, you detox comfortably off of heroin or benzos or alcohol or coke or whatever you're kicking. They make sure the detox is as comfortable as possible, which I think is critical. They have amenities you wouldn't believe. Sound bath meditation, the super spiritual sweat lodge, surfing, you name it, they have it. If you're fucked and you need some place to go and you're willing to go to sunny Southern California, I strongly recommend going to Aloe. This episode of Dopey is also brought to you by our friends at CASL, which stands for Clean and Sober Love, the dating app for people who choose a clean and sober way of life. It was created by one addict helping another addict to date safely. So here's the reality. You got clean, you got sober, you got a new life, and now you're ready to date. So where are you supposed to look? Friend of the farmer? CASL is the solution. Dating and recovery is real and worth considering if you have your shit together. CASL is the platform where you can meet like-minded people all over the world. Install the app now on the App Store or Google Play Store. Oh, and by the way, it is completely fucking free and clean and sober love. CASL is totally revamped with video chatting and all sorts of new uh, bells and whistles if you are stuck alone in quarantine. Check out CASL now. 
This episode of Dopey is also brought to you by Pink Cloud. It is an app that will help you find over 245,000 anonymous 12-step programs worldwide, including over 20,000 online meetings. They also have great tools to track your sobriety, including a sobriety dashboard, which shows your birthday or anniversary, depending on which side of the country you live on. They track your sober and clean time, your meeting attendance from the past 7, 30, or 90 days, and what step you might be currently working on. They help you with your program. They customize a to-do list, inventory tracking, resentment tracking, and much, much more. They have custom prayers, phone lists, Anything you ever could possibly need in terms of a 12-step program, Pink Cloud has it. It is available on the App Store and Google Play Store. Check it out right now. This episode of Dopey is also brought to you by listeners like you in the Dopey Nation through the power of the Dopey Patreon account. It's www.patreon.com slash dopeypodcast. And on Dopey Patreon this week, you will hear from old-school Dopey family member DJ telling maybe the dopiest story I ever heard. So go to www.patreon.com slash dopey podcast, kick down a few bucks, help keep dopey as happy, joyous and free as possible and help me get out of the deli. If you want dopey gear, check out the dopey store at dopeypodcast.com. We have a partnership with a printing company out of Cincinnati called SRO prints and they are run entirely of recovering heroin addicts. They are making amazing dopey gear. There are good so bad shirts. There are dopey shirts. There are big bird shirts. You name it, it's there. There's hoodies. There's mugs. It's fucking awesome. Dopeypodcast.com. Get the gear. If you want the new Dopey Nation holographic stickers, just Venmo me at Dopey Podcast. I also have new Dopey Coin holographic stickers and all the old favorites. It's a lot of ads, a lot of information. Enough with the fucking ads. Here is the show. Life gets difficult with all the troubles we're facing. So no matter what happens, stay strong, dopey nation. Listen, I always say that I've been through worse, but there's been times in my life where that pain was a first. Yelling at the sky like God and my curse, like why am I alive? Why am I not under dirt? Old days amaze as I try to find a purpose as I constantly investigate, but only scratch the surface. I'm done taking now, it's time to be a servant. Striving to be perfect, it has always left me nervous. I know my worth, I know what I deserve. My grip's gotta be firm and the tragedy does occur. And look, I finally got a taste of the thing that I've always wanted. I'm the living definition of turning nothing to something. That agony, I know it all too well. I only thought about myself all them times I fell. I've been cut, crushed, and abandoned, can't you tell? I've been beat, broken, battered, I've been dragged through hell. Dopey Nation. And welcome to Dopey, the podcast on drugs, addiction, and dumb shit. And I'm Dave, and I'm with my good friend, Ray. He's in the palm of my hand. Welcome back to the show, Ray. I'm in the palm of your hand? What does that mean? It means your voice is coming out of a speaker that's in the palm of my hand. Oh, nice. And you were like, you don't sound very energetic. And I was like, do you want me to smoke some crack? And then you're like, don't fuck up the show. Well, so, you do. Good morning. Listen, don't. Good morning, re- Dave. You don't need to reveal everything. Just, I mean, come on, come on. You gotta let the audience <laughs> want for stuff that they don't get. Um, 
How are you feeling, Ray? What's the good word? You feeling energetic? I'm just told you. I'm just. I drank three cups of tea out of the dopey mug. I'm very energetic. Good. Raring to go. Excellent. So I want to talk. Last week was Dopey Day, and what a beautiful. Uh, you know, it was a beautiful day. It made me feel so proud of the show. So proud of uh, of me. Proud of myself, if you don't mind me saying so. Yeah. Uh, proud of Chris, made me miss Chris, and it was just so cool to see uh, the audience come together. What do you think, yeah, Ray? You, you should be proud of yourself. I mean, when you mentioned it like a long time ago, and I was like, "What is that?" You know, it kind of reminded me of like my skepticism about uh, uh, the DopeyCon because you were like, "I have this idea," and I'm like, "Yeah, whatever." But then it came; both of them came true in like a big way, and then to see all those people, and then like the dude in Dundalk, like hollering out "Happy Dopey" or whatever that was. Dude, what was that? That that I was like know, the. There's I wish a, that guy would reveal himself. This is amazing. No, that was Alan. Alan posted yeah. it. And and when you say Dundalk, just because you're a fucking irophile or whatever the... What's the word for someone who's obsessed obsessed with the Irish? Uh, I don't know, but it's Dundalk. I don't care. It's Ireland. So there's somebody in Dundalk that listens to Dopey that has not contacted the Dopey Nation. So what the story was, some dude is driving down the street, Alan's driving down the street yeah. wearing a dopey shirt. And yeah. some dude says, stay strong, dopey nation. And some dude says, toodles for Chris in Ireland. I think, I think it was the same dude that said both. Right? I don't know. We don't know. But hey, hold on. This is the worst told story in the history of stories. I'm going to go <laughs> to the post. Hold on. Time out. Okay. I'm going to the post. While, Here. while you're doing that, I thought... Chris's parents were so great. The whole episode, and you know, I guess I'm naturally skeptical because I thought, oh, you're going to interview Chris's parents and his sister. That's going to be like really boring and a downer. But it was great and it was uplifting. It was. And I think uh, they were crippled when I got there. And at the end of the interview, I think it did something good for them. So I think that was, and I was crippled at the beginning too. And I think, I think, we, it was a, a cathartic moment, and, and obviously they it have... It sounded like you were about to cry at one point, or you did cry. I don't, I don't cry. I'm a man. Men don't cry, <laughs> um, except you. <laughs> it's okay. Dave, it's okay for lads to cry. <laughs> anyway, I, no, I, I, I almost cried. I almost cried um, when Linda read the thing that Chris wrote. I almost cried yeah. then. Here, I found it. Alan okay. Anderson, fucking hardcore Dopey Nation member, musician, wrote one of my favorite dopey songs. He says, so walking through my hometown of Dundalk, Ireland, with my dopey t-shirt on, random guy in a passing car shouts, stay strong, dopey nation. So I shout back fucking toodles for Chris, and he beeps the horn loads, big smile on his face. Now, I'll tell you something, Ray. I don't even believe this story. I think it's bullshit. Alan, I think it's a bullshit story. I've lived on this earth for many years. I've done dopey for five years. This happens to everybody but me. No one has <laughs> ever said, oh, it, I, you know, it's never happened. And it's my fucking show. I, I was in a huge meeting, an AA meeting. Oh, I'm not supposed to say that on Joe. I was in a huge 12-step meeting. Yes. And I'm drinking from my dopey mug. And I'm like, somebody's going to say dopey and like of course nobody knows said it. somebody's gonna go are you ray from dopey and of course they didn't because nobody listens to dopey 
you and I are the only people who have had this experience. And Chris probably. I, I mean, I remember, uh, did Chris tell the story that he, no, no, it was Billy Baru, uh, which is an old time listener of ours named Randy, was on a plane and he said he heard somebody say on the plane, I love it when Chris says toodles. And Chris, <laughs> Chris was like, oh my God. And I think it's all bullshit. So Alan Anderson, is it bullshit? What's the story, man? Is it true? Tell me. Dopey Nation. If, what? If the person is listening, reveal yourself. Yes, please reveal yourself, Irish dopey person. And Ray, your obsession with Ireland is making me crazy. I don't know why. I mean, I'm not obsessed. I just like it. I think you're obsessed with Ireland. I think. Yeah, well, I'm going, I'm going to Mexico on Saturday, so... I think I could handle a little Mexican obsession more than <laughs> Irish obsession. So when, I was going to go to Ireland, but I'd have to quarantine for 14 days. And then I heard they're very angry at Americans who even come there now. So, Did you buy the ticket for Mexico yet? Yep. You did? Yep. yep. Ray, who am I going to talk to in the morning? What Me. A- it's the, They're one hour behind. Oh. You said it's four hours. It's, it's like an hour behind now. Oh, my God. Even on the west coast of Mexico, in like like uh, Sayulita or like Zipolete, it's it's uh, an hour behind on the Pacific coast. What else? What else caught you on Dopey Day? What else did you? Uh, what else made you feel special? Or what did you think? Um, you know what I liked was I can't remember who it was. The guy that was doing the compilation pictures of like thousands and thousands or hundreds of people with the dopey eyes. That's, it kept getting that, larger. That's Dan Ali Sr. Dan, yeah, Dan Ali. Um, that was cool. And, um, and seeing everybody, you know, that do it. And it was in my Facebook feed. It was cool. How about and Jamie, how about Jamie Lee Curtis throwing it down? Jamie Lee Curtis, shout out. And I did it myself. I said, I didn't want to do it and I did it. And, you know, luckily nobody wrote on my Facebook page, it's so great hearing you on the Dopey podcast and you saying all that personal stuff. So, like, my friends wouldn't even know I was on it. I'll be like, I love it when you cry on Dopey. I love it when you cry about that guy you're in love with. <laughs> so, how goes the obsession, Ray? We're 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 many weeks out of you using, and you've been working yep. your recovery like a fucking bird flying. So, like, uh, why don't you update the Dopey Nation on where you're at? I I had a little bit of like I looked at some old photos and I had some you know everything reminds me of him every I wrote down a list of everything that reminds me of him and it's like the there's a stain on the rug and like I I dyed that rug before I fixed my whole house up so everything in my house everything in my neighborhood every weird little thing reminds me of him and I I don't know I'll just have to deal with that but what kind yeah, of stain working. what kind of stain on your rug just like I spilled something on the rug and like. I remember before he came, I like put that rug in the bathtub and I dyed it blue and dried it. And now I'm going to have to, you know, sort of do that. Just, you know, all those little things, you know, um, I put some curtains up and, you know, that reminds me of him. Just, I don't know, every crazy thing, but I've been doing this fourth step and, you know, I didn't know how to do it. I did it before, but I didn't really do it. And, uh, this guy is like, you could say him like meticulous or like, uh, I don't know. He's like your sponsor, your sponsor. Yeah. My sponsor. We've been editing my trial fourth step, which is five things. We've been editing it and working on it. And this is just a test before I do the real thing. So he's taught me how to write it and how, and it's like, we've been doing this all week. Every day I read it to him and then we edit it. And, uh, 
and I'm understanding it and I'm understanding the purpose of it and all that stuff, you know? And then like, um, a lot of AA things, which I've thought were stupid, like easy does it, you know, stick with the winners. I'm like, now I'm like, Oh, I understand that now. And I looked up the meaning of easy does it. And I looked up, well, stick with the winners is easy. You know, like, I don't want to stick with my like. Wait, hold loser. on, hold on, hold on, Ray. What? Why did what? you look up the definition of easy does it? I never understood that was why an AA slogan. Never understood it, and it's like very. It means exactly what it means. It, you know, it's it's very obvious. Well, what could you have possibly perceived it as? I don't know. I never one day at a time. I never understood. You know, I just you know how a lot of people think that's like some old fashioned corny stuff. I went to a meeting this morning, uh, yeah. in the rain on the beach. Uh, and I love the meetings in the rain because much fewer people go. And it's like, you oh. know, like when you go someplace like during a snowstorm or something and there are only a few people there. Yeah. And like you, it's like really intimate and cool and like sweet. And I, I love that feeling. Um, and it was a cool meeting and, um, I don't know. It made me think though about like all the people that listen to the show that don't go to meetings but they're doing so much better. And then like, I just hate the idea that somebody can feel like they're not a part of this if they're not in 12 step. So anybody who's not in 12 step, just know you are a part of it if you want to be. And if your life is getting better, we support you. Well, if you're listening, then you're kind of in a meeting. It's a version of a meeting. Sort of. Yeah. And and I mean, the best thing about 12 step is the, is the saying that love and, and tolerance is our code and compassion is our code. That's what we want. We want people to feel included and feel good, you know, as, as much as I hate talking like that. I just don't want anyone to feel left out, you know, because they're not doing X, Y, or Z. Yeah, I don't, I don't think that anybody listening would get that. I mean, it, it is. It's like there's like you talk, I talk, and then the listeners talk. There's an email or a voicemail, and then the main person talks. That's kind of like a qualification, and then – People talk again. It's kind of the. It's just. It's a lot longer than a meeting, but it's very similar. Right. And, and you don't have to. You don't have to put a dollar in a hat. Well, no. You but you should. You should get on Patreon and throw some yeah. money down to the fucking. <laughs> I mean, what am I doing out here? I'm fucking dying. I'm dying a slow death in my attic. I'm getting worried about this whole economic downturn situation. Like I'm like getting worried. You know, my business is slowing down. Well, like every restaurant, every movie theater in New York is going to go out of business. It's just, I don't know how that's going to work. It's fucked up. And not to mention, like, all the businesses aren't going to work. Like, I used to do corporate catering at all these businesses, and I finally decided to start checking in on my clients because the hospital catering has been slowing down. And they're like, we don't know if we're ever going to go back. Like, that mall, that mall at, um, you know, uh, Hudson Yards... Like the biggest yeah. mall in that store isn't reopening. Well, I took the train in yesterday, the commuter train uh, for like people who live in the suburbs and work in Manhattan. And you can never get a spot there after like 630 a.m. There's just no spots. And that was like 12 noon. I took the 1219 and there was like 15 cars there. There's spaces for like a thousand cars. So that means nobody is going to Manhattan. Right, and that's why people should be throwing money at Patreon to make <laughs> to help me assemble my dopey lifeboat. Right, nice segue. Thank nice you. Empty parking lots to like dopey Patreon. Yeah, well, what I'm saying is, 
the dopey podcast is an amazing it's like dude it might be the best podcast there is it just it just might be i'm not afraid to say that it just might be ray have you ever heard a better podcast than dopey i've never really heard another podcast so answer the question have you ever heard it's the best podcast i've ever heard exactly and one of the reasons that the podcast is so good you know not counting you or even me is the guest caliber that we have and this week we have a guest that i didn't really know who he was you know he was on the periphery of my vision and i have like when i'm on social media i'm often just looking for guests you know what i mean yeah, I'm just. I'm, I'd never heard of this guy. I, I'm He's just kind of big, dude. His fucking his biggest song has 25 million views. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I'm old. I don't know a lot of like Migos. Like I, I didn't know who Migos were, and they played like three nights at the Garden. Right. Me too. Yeah, I'm the same way. I'm not as old as you, but I'm just as not in the know. And uh, and this dude uh, is a big time recovery rapper. He's like the greatest recovery rapper in the history of recovery rappers. I found out about him. What about Eminem? Eminem's more of just a rapper. Oh, he's rapping specifically about recovery, right? I get you. Well, I mean, dude, you're right. I mean, I just think this guy is great. Eminem had an album called Recovery, didn't he? Yeah, okay, right. Stop shaming me. Stop shaming (laughs) me with your rap knowledge, your superior. I'm getting back at you for what just happened. All right, take it easy. Just relax, right? (laughs) Everything's going to be okay. This guy's called Colici. He's from Pittsburgh, and he really lays the dopey down, wouldn't you say? I liked it. I liked the interview a lot, and I liked his music. I listened to his music. I dug it. I would say his music is straight wicked fire. If you're a fucking dude in a sober house with a backwards hat, you got to look up Colici. He's very handsome, too. All right, Ray, come on. Just relax. <laughs> we, don't, we don't need to know all, all of your, your deep, dark longings for Colici on the show. <laughs> um, what was I going to say, though? Yeah, the first minute, the sound quality isn't great. It gets better. So just stick with it, okay? Yeah, I, Dave sent it to me, and I'm like, this is unlistenable. And then he's like, listen for more than one minute. I'm like, okay, it's great. All right, so here's Colici. All right. As I mean, I always say I'm excited at the beginning of an interview, but I'm really excited at the beginning of this interview. Uh, this guy is a musician. He's an MC. Um, I would say you are the recovery MC equivalent of like Eminem or something. His name is Kalichi. Do you think that's a fair assessment to call you the Eminem of recovery hip hop, or is that not a fair assessment? Oh, I mean, I want to. <laughs> I don't know if I'd go that far. I don't think I would ever be as talented and as good as him, but I appreciate you even considering that. Dude, I mean, I guess Eminem is in recovery, but your shit is pretty fucking crazy. You know, I'm I'm pretty blown away. I'm going to read some lyrics here for a second. All right. Once a junkie, always a junkie. You're boring me. The last time I had checked, there's one ultimate authority. I'm sick of these remarks and opinions from all these critics, because if you never lived it, when, trust me, you'll never get it. Be quiet. You're not allowed to speak about it. If you've never lived it, then you're not allowed to speak about it. How often you forget the only time that you should ever open your mouth is to eat a dick. Everybody is dying. It makes me sick. This isn't an epidemic. This is more like an apocalypse. And that's from drug addiction, this crazy eight-minute song you did, correct? Yes. And like, dude, he has 25 million fucking downloads on YouTube, 25 million views. 
how did it happen that that people came to know who you are? Just the talent? I mean, honestly, I mean, it's like I, I saw so I did music for like probably 12 years prior before that song. And I did it consistently aside from like some of my relapses where I take a couple months off. You know, I always did music. Um you know, nonstop. And, um, it's crazy. Cause when I first started, uh, back in 2005, when, when my space was big, it was like, um, no one was really discussing or talking the things I was at least to in my, at least to me, I didn't really hear anybody talk about feelings or the, the you know, feelings of, you know, being inadequate or, or drug addiction, uh, shoving needles in their veins, um, being afraid to talk to girls, um, having low self-esteem. And I, and I don't know, it's kind of like the, uh, the program that I'm involved in. It was almost embedded in me to just be as honest as possible. And that's what I did. I just took it and ran with it, but I just wanted to make a song like drug addiction. That was as deep detailed as possible that describe my life about how I used to live, you know, to how I live now. And, um, I had no idea that it would reach the amount of people that it has. And, I, and I'm forever grateful for that because through that, you know, I, I've messaged and talked to, uh, to literally thousands of fans and, you know, and, and, and different people and, um, you know, that, that feel just like me that have gone through the exact same thing that I have, you know, and, uh, and even if they're story wasn't the same the feelings were identical and that's what i did i just made a connection with different people totally i mean the, the craziest thing to me is like hip-hop was born out of like street journalism telling the story of life of, of kind of like struggle that was where hip-hop came from basically and and it turned into a very like braggadocious world of like you know, materialism and whatever, and you are owning your addiction and you're owning your inadequacy. So it's kind of like this inverted braggadociousness, right? Go for it. Uh, um, um, yeah, I mean, I, like I said before, prior, you know, I just, I really always have, you know, just share my story, you know, and through sharing my story, it really has given me freedom and I, and I can't stress it enough because, you know, I believe for someone like myself that, you know, secrets will keep me sick, you know, and that, you know, secrets will honestly physically and spiritually kill me. So it was always, you know, imperative that I, I talked about my life and I talked about it on a group level. And I don't suggest that everybody needs to do that, but I do suggest that everybody gets with one person that they trust. But for me, it really was just has always been the Internet to just talk about my life, because it's almost like if I give you everything about my life and I have no secrets and you have no ambition of, or you have no ammunition to basically hurt me. So that's how I've always been, just as transparent as possible. And by being as transparent as possible, like I said, I, I, I've been able to reach you know, more people than I ever thought I ever would. Right. It's incredible. And, um, and to be transparent with the audience, I'm sucking it up with our connection. Like I fucked up with the speaker and I fucked up with the, with the audio and Kalichi, AKA Chaz has been very patient. So thank you for being so patient, man. I appreciate it. I hate, I hate being such an amazing podcaster with such terrible shoddy equipment. It's the fucking worst. Um, when did you start using in the first place? Like what was the first time you used? Uh, honestly, I probably, I was probably a little late. I don't think I used for the first time until I was like 14, 15. 
And it basically was just, uh, I probably the only time in my life I was ever peer pressured was the first time I used marijuana. And um, it was two neighbors of mine that were brothers, and uh, we went in the woods and smoked. And uh, and honestly, I hated it. I hated how it made me feel. You know, I just, I hated the, the paranoia and the anxiety that came along with it. But that didn't stop me from doing it thousands of times more with that particular drug. Um so you ne- yeah, I, did you never learn to love weed? It was never your thing. I didn't. I didn't. I hated weed. I, the only time I ever loved weed is when I was on ecstasy, special K, and mushrooms. And whenever, <laughs> yes. So if I was on like six or seven good weed, like the antidote, I uh, go in. Here, I lost you for a second. Say that again. Um. Yeah, the only time I really liked weed is whenever I was on like six or seven eat pills, and it was like the uh, it was really the substance to like keep my high going. So that's when I enjoyed weed, right? And um, and so you're you're 15, and you're you're peer pressured to smoke, and you're from you're from outside of Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, right? Correct. Yes, you've got a beautiful Pennsylvania accent, I have to say. Thank you. Um, and it's good in the music, the the, the Pittsburgh accent. I, it's always nice to hear a Pennsylvania accent. The water, water sound. Say, yeah. say water. Bruce, uh, there's a bunch of different words that I, we allegedly say fucked up. So Here, tell me the words. Tell me the, the fucked up Penn, Pittsburgh I, I, words. Google or something, but just off the top of my head, I know that's a couple is uh, roof and, uh, and water. Well, those are probably the biggest ones, but yeah. Yeah. I, I'll catch myself. I mean, even the word yens, really, people really don't know what that means, but it just basically means like you guys. Um, Wait, what is that? Yens? Yens. Uh, Y-N. I mean, Y-I-N-Z. Like yens. Like what are yens doing? So that's like the Pittsburgh, the Pennsylvania Pittsburgh version of y'all or use fucking guys yeah. from Brooklyn. Yes. Yeah. Yes. All right, cool. So when did it turn from like unsatisfied stoner to taking 10 e-pills and fucking special K and all that shit? I mean, that my, so my progression with addiction, you know, really was tremendously rapid, quick, fast, you know, swept me off my feet. Um, I mean, I guess you could say like in ninth and 10th grade, you know, it was fun. You know, I would say by 10th grade, I, I was drinking, six nights a week uh heavily throughout the entire school year um i believe i'm I'm gonna say uh late late 10th grade early 11th grade somewhere along then you know i was already introduced to opiates percocets uh percocets like oc5s or whatever but i guess around that time is when i really started getting in the oxycontin and um you know that was like that was my huge downfall because i mean there was a time in my life where drugs were pleasurable and drugs were a party. I had a lot of fun, you know, but once, you know, I became chemically dependent, it was no longer fun. It became a job, you know, and that's when I literally started to see every bridge in my life get burned. And it was while I was still in high school. Right. So you, you wound up, you wound up basically strung out on, on Ben on uh, oxys when you were still a teenager. Yes. And so I, and I pretty much, there was about three or four months left in the school year, my senior year. So this was 2001. 
uh, where I was I, I was strung on heroin and you know not like real real bad and I'm not minimizing it but I was leaving school every day at lunch because I was starting to get sick so I would you know I would leave school and I would just ditch you know study hall math class because that's for my last two classes and uh, and I would just go meet with friends that have already graduated or, or weren't in school and we would go and we would you know and we'd go and we'd get high and um, you know it wasn't until it wasn't until, you know, literally the first week of summer vacation where I just became a full blown out heroin addict that was committing crimes. Because up until that point, I don't want to say I had it, you know, under control, but like, you know, I was, you know, somewhat, my life was somewhat manageable, you know, but like my last, like two weeks like prior to graduating high school, I spent, you know, my first seven days in a psych ward and, uh, and was able to, you know, go seven days without using get getting clean. But, uh, I was just still so young and I didn't want it then. So basically as soon as I got out, I started using. Right. I think it's hysterical that you call yourself a late bloomer and you were strung out on heroin in high school. I mean, that's a pretty, <laughs> it's a pretty early start, right? For, kind of, but I'm just saying today, it's just these kids are doing it younger and younger, and, uh, and it's just such a shame because they're dying. Young. I mean, like, <clears throat> the kids that are dying today, I mean, never had a chance, you know, to even to even experience what, you know, recovery is because, you know, the drugs today are just so much different than when they were in 2001, 2005, and uh, it is, it's, it's a tragedy. And what describe the first time you had a an opiate in your system? Like, what was the experience? Do you remember it? I mean, yeah. For the most part, it was just it really was like the the missing piece of the puzzle that I had been looking for my entire life. Because, like I said, I hated weed. I, I I did like alcohol a lot, but uh, I mean, opiates just gave me that absolute feeling of you know, euphoria where I felt like for the first time in my life, maybe I do love myself. And, uh, you know, cause I've always been shy, passive, timid, and I've always had low self-esteem. Um, you know, even though I had friends, I still always felt alone. Um, so it was really the thing in my life that, you know, it was really, I guess you would say it was my first love. And, uh, you know, and I just, I, I felt like this is what I wanted to do for the rest of my life because I can't go another second not feeling the way that I'm feeling right now. No, I could totally relate. I mean, my deal was I was just this crazy neurotic. And, and the first time I put uh, heroin into my, or maybe the second time I put heroin into my system, I finally felt like, you know how everybody would say, I just don't give a fuck. I just don't give a fuck. I always yeah. gave a fuck until I tried heroin. And I finally had that feeling that I cannot give a fuck. And I was like, I need to feel like this. You know what I mean? That, yeah. was, that was how it was for me. Um, so I can totally relate to what you're saying. And like that, that's the worst feeling I think is when you know, you kind of need to be on it forever. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, like I said, like the first time that I actually had a tolerance and been in habit and was like sick. And then it was like, okay, what exactly did I get myself into? Cause even at like a young age, my mother would always be like, you know, you're probably going to have a problem with drugs and alcohol. I'm just, just letting you know, you know, because your father and I, we, you know, we both struggle with, uh, you know, alcoholism and drug addiction. So, so just be careful. So, I mean, I kind of even got acceptance with it at a young age and I never really like lived in denial. 
sucks. I just thought that I just thought that's what my life was going to be like always. So you thought that it was coming when when your when your mother told you were raised by your grandparents and your father took off, right? Yes. And uh, and he was an opiate addict also. Yes. Yeah, that's tough. I'm sorry. And I know your mom struggled also. So when she told you that, was she in active addiction? No. So she so she had 16 years clean um, while I was growing up. I didn't grow up in like this turbulent household or whatever. I mean, she busted her ass every day and went to work, you know, to give me things that she's never had. You know, like I said, my grandparents, you know, I spent a lot of time with them and they raised me because they live right down the street. But um, no, I mean, at that time, I believe she was clean. But like when I was a senior in high school was when she kind of like relapsed and we would just throw like huge parties at my house and like my mom just wouldn't care and I you know I had the chief of police lived in my neighborhood and he just was I mean super cool super cool for the fact that like he would you know not really be uh, uh, not really come at my throat I guess you could say so it's like I don't know I just like I said I had I had fun when I was younger but somewhere along the lines you know I crossed that line where you know I entered this torturous hell and this miserable existence that you know I thought I was going to die in. So so when you started to actually you know feel dependent and you would get sick and you would have the kind of words of your mother echoing in your head was it like, this is what I signed up for, so I know it's coming? Or were you like, this isn't going to happen to me full out? I mean, it was probably a little bit of both. I mean, I'm sure there was days where I felt like, you know, I wasn't going to be as bad as him, him, and them. And then there was other you know, maybe I was just wallowing in the self-hatred and self-pity a little bit more where it was like, okay, this is my life. Let's get used to it. Right. And how did you maintain your habit in the beginning? Uh, I mean, the very, very beginning, you know, I, I worked different jobs, you know, throughout high school. Um, you know, it'd only be like a couple hour shifts after school or something. So I could like somewhat was able to do that. Um, you know, but, you know, like every drug addict and, you know, the majority of alcoholics, you know, there just becomes a time where we, where I became just totally unemployable. And, um, you know, after that, it was like, you know, I'm hanging with these, you know, friends and associates that, that are also criminals. And, um, so we just did whatever it took. And, you know, I made a post the other night, you know, I pretty much did whatever it took, you know, aside, you know, I never really mess with guns. So like anything that, that you can think of, you know, that, that doesn't have to deal with guns. And we, we just really would just rob stores and uh, we would just steal stuff and we would go sell it in, like uh, these three local bars that we knew. Um, and we would just get money and we would do this day in and day out for month after month. And we would just go to these stores and we would be so hot. I mean, so hot where we would walk in the door and we would already have four or five employees looking at us. So like, we just didn't care and we couldn't stop. Um, and so one of us was constantly always in jail. We always had warrants for us. We always were running from the constables. You know, my house is a shooting gallery where I live with my mother. I always had people staying there. The constables would be there for either me or somebody who was staying there. Uh, ambulances constantly from overdoses, um, whether it was me or somebody who was staying there. And this was just the life that I lived in. Um, you know, quote unquote, to me, was just normal. It, it was normal like this. It was normal to have, you know, um, you know, had piss for the carpet and just 
you know, dirty dishes everywhere and, uh, you know, rinsing my syringe and just spraying blood on the wall. Like, that's how I lived. That's how I lived for a long time. And you describe, yeah, it sounds rough. Um, but that's, I mean, that's what you can hear in the music. You know, that's what comes out in the music. When did you start, uh, rapping and writing rhymes and stuff? I started rapping. Um, I mean, I did like, I wrote like poetry when I was like real young, like in the seventh grade, um, just like here and there. Nothing. I mean, stuff. I could make a poem about like a phone or a crowd. Like, so it was like nothing like, a nothing serious, but I didn't really start, you know, writing or rapping until the first time I attempted to get clean back when I was, you know, um, late 22, early 23. And I, and I was going to this outpatient program and, uh, you know, I came home one day and I was sitting on my mother's couch and uh, music choice on on demand uh, was what I used to listen to for music back at that time era. And, uh, and I remember, and I would just, these certain songs would come on, certain rap songs. And you have to understand, I never really was like a huge rap fan. I went through all these genres of, uh, of music. My first love was, was classic, classical rock from, from Led Zeppelin to The Doors to The Beatles. Absolutely adored all of that. And then, you know, I got into the phase of the, the, the Pearl Jam, the Soundgarden and Nirvana, the Rage Against the Machines, Stone Pebble Pilots, you know, and then, so I kind of, you know, then went over to rap because even in high school I would listen to it and I never really never really cared for music in general because to be honest the only thing I cared about was drugs and alcohol that's it right uh, so like I, I was attempting to get clean and um and I was just sitting on my mother's couch and it, it sounds bizarre but this is the absolute truth I just really just picked up a, a pen and a, and a notebook and I started writing I started writing in song form and I started rhyming words together you know my first couple of raps were you know stuff that you know was out of my element meaning like stuff I've never done or whatever you want to say and you know and uh, like I said I was introduced to a 12 step program at that time and all they would just preach is just honesty just honesty so like I said I it's almost like I just took that and ran ran with it, and I uh, and I just started writing, and I and I, I found by writing about my feelings, I just you know was starting to feel better. And at this time, you know, I didn't know anybody that rapped. I didn't know any recording studio, nothing. I went to the Yellow Pages and I picked out a recording studio, and I found out later that it was the most prestigious one in the city. And I called them and uh, and literally just made an appointment. You know, went and recorded my first song and, you know, continued to go there for the next, you know, 10, 11, 12 years. That's awesome, man. Um, now before you got into outpatient and before you picked up the pad, what was like the bottom, like what made you realize that you needed to get better or what, what was the impetus to get clean the first time? I mean, my, I have so many different bottoms with so many different levels of pain. You know, it, it's, I can't even really pinpoint it because I, like I said, I just got to it. I got to a point where every single morning I wanted to die. And, uh, I also wrote about this the other night too. I, I wasn't, a, I wasn't the type of act that woke up and then like got sick, like three, four hours later, the second I opened my eyes, it was like, I want to die. I can't do this. I hate myself. Why am I shaking? I'm miserable. I'm throwing up bow. You know, I'm sick. I haven't eaten in days. I haven't brushed my teeth or showered in, in over a week. This is no way to live. So I just I hit many hit many physical bottoms and many spiritual bottoms. And uh, so I, I 
say that I was broken and beaten at such a young age, but when it, when it came to actually putting the footwork in of getting and staying clean, I was always unwilling and I was always unwilling to give myself a chance. I was reluctant. Um, so I wanted to stop like, you know, at a, like a, at a young age, but it just took me numerous attempts for something actually clicked in my head to like, Hey, maybe I really should give us a solid endeavor since my life's on. So, so basically, and you, we talked a little bit over the last couple of days and you told me that like you would have a little stretch of clean time and then you would relapse. And it's interesting to me that the music started, you know, kind of like seeking out sobriety and telling your story. And it was a way to express all the, the, the most pain, the, the most graphic shit, which again is the best music, you know, the raw is the, the most truthful, um, which is why your music is so good and so inspiring because it comes from a, a really truthful place. Um, when you first relapsed after you had gotten some time, like what was that scenario about? Like, like, you know, cause I think that's something that people really, you know, like we all try, like I tried to get sober so many times and I, I would fuck it up over and over again because I just wasn't ready to stop using, you know what I mean? Like when yeah. you, when you first, uh, like relapsed off of clean time, what was the scenario? So I, Every relapse like has like a story, but I, the first time I could say that I actually probably relapsed, you know, I had 11 and a half months clean. The first, my first, like I said, true attempt at getting clean. Um, I was like sick one day and this is going to sound stupid, but I was, I was sick one day and, and, um, I had to go to work. So I stopped and I actually bought a uh, day quill from the store and, um, and it was it was odd because I took it and I felt different. Like I felt like high. Yeah. And and mind you, like I wasn't high for you know eleven and a half months. Um, twenty four at the time, I believe. And um, I liked it. So like, what I did was I got more day quote later that night. And then the next morning, I convinced myself that I was still sick, so I took it again. Then I took it again, and here we are. It's like you know, it's ten days later, and I'm you know eating all this day quote to get out of myself. And I mean, obviously. I already relapsed, but not in my mind. And that, you know, I just, it made me super depressed to the point where, you know, now I have to go meet my friend Lou and shove a needle in my arm and do heroin. Right. That, I mean, the, the, my favorite thing about that story is a drug addict can't say they were taking DayQuil. They have to be eating DayQuil. I love that. <laughs> um, and you didn't take NyQuil, just DayQuil? Just say quill, and you know what? To this day, I don't take it because um, I can't explain it. I know everybody's chemistry, brain chemistry is different, yeah. but it's so fucked up to the point where, like, I literally was like so depressed that I was actually taking the lighter and uh, and burning it on my arm, like to like feel different. You know, and and it's that I look back at that time era of my life, and it just was so insane. But that's what it was. So I eventually used heroin from all the self hatred of using this Dayquil for for two weeks straight. And um, but yeah, and uh, that's that was my first encounter with you know um, with relapse. Right. And then how long did the, did the heroin run last? Uh, I'm going to, this is probably honestly just a guess, but I would say a couple months. Right. Were you, were you doing music? Did you ever do music high? 
I don't. I can. I could probably go through my YouTube, um, and I could probably text you five or six songs that I wrote high or recorded high. Um, so that's probably roughly about three percent, maybe three percent of my catalog I've done under the influence. I just I can't do anything when I'm using. I can't walk a dog. I can't take a shower. I can't attend the birthday party. I can't do anything when I'm using, and it shows. And every time you went on a run, I mean, like, when did, because, like, you're, like, a, a pretty major YouTube artist. I mean, you have many, 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 many millions of downloads. Like, it is not a joke. Like, did you ever have a relapse after the fame? No, no. Oh, okay, good. Um, now, I had a thought, and I don't know if you're going to think this is funny or not, but you know how, like, this 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 kind of, like, idea of rehab rappers Yes. Like, you know how, like, meme artists, like, make fun of people in, in like, uh, sober houses who, like, want to spit bars and, and freestyle and all that stuff? Yeah. Wouldn't it be funny if we set up some kind of, like, do you think, do they have, like, a sober, like, cipher where, like, people are, like, you know, going at each other with rhymes like eight mile or something. I think that would be the funniest thing if we set that up and you showed up and you eliminated all the rehab rappers. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's definitely, it's definitely an idea. Have you, I think we should do that. I think that would be hysterical. And I also like, I, I mean, like I'm not dissing rehab rappers. I wrote half of my songs. I mean, I, I was a rapper before I ever was a heroin addict and I was terrible. And I, and I kind of write uh, regular songs and play music. And I wrote a ton of them in rehab. So I, I have total empathy and uh, respect for rehab rappers. What's your take on, on that genre in itself? Because I know, I know that your whole shit, like I was reading the comments on your YouTube and you like got people clean with your songs. I mean, it's pretty remarkable. Yeah, it's, it is. It's, uh, like I said, it's amazing. Um, you know, everything that has came along with it, you know, to the, to the infinite amount of messages that, that I've received, I've impacted people's lives, lives. Um, and I'm not blowing myself. I'm just saying like, for me, like I, I just was somebody that, that could not get clean and I didn't even have a quarter, you know, in my pocket. And, you know, and I, I seriously had not one single friend, you know, to be where I was at, to be where I am today. Um, it is, it's mind blowing. But uh, I mean, as far as, you know, I don't know. I just, I support anything. Like I said, in the beginning, I really was doing it just to feel better, just to feel that freedom. So, I mean, maybe, a lot of people are doing and I'm sure some people are doing it because they you know you know the wrong intentions um I was never the person that um screamed at the top of my lungs that I rapped and uh, and I don't know why but I I even still kind of like low-key get embarrassed not embarrassed but like shy about it when in a group a group of people and they'll be like oh that kid raps or, or whatever um but I, it's like i know people that you know if you're doing it for like the wrong reasons just to just to rap just to say you rap then like you know i don't really support that but you know people that do it that really want to get their message out or whatever you know it's different um and I don't really let that stuff really bother me because, like I said, I, I've been writing about this type of stuff since 2006. 
with even my song Paradise, you know, I released in 2006 and it was a detailed story about shooting heroin and, you know, and how I was an active addiction and how, how, you know, I found recovery. And like I said, at that time, nobody was talking about that. Like no Eminem, no Macklemore, nothing. Um, So like, I never, you know, it's not like I switched with the times. Like, this is me. This is what I've always talked about since day one. I just, I've rapped about addiction and rapped about recovery. Right. And the, and the actual grittiness of it. I mean, I I was reading a, a verse of yours about your family and you said, I'm going to read it because I love this. Uh, you said, all I want is drugs. All I ever needed is more. Me and my sister passed the needle back and forth. Blood is dripping off both my arms and now it's falling onto the floor. We manipulate the lighter, watch the flames hit the chore. She's pushing on the stem. I tried to wait my turn. Every pair of pants I got is covered in cigarette burns. I'm living a lifestyle... Uh, every that they wrote your lyrics wrong. I'm living a lifestyle that's critically acclaimed. My arms are black and blue as I try to hit another vein. Um, it's fucking amazing. Uh, did you really, uh, did you really pass the needle back and forth with your sister? Uh, yeah. She was um, she was my running partner for a long time, and um, yeah, we just we would just you know use, and she would even boost with us for a while, and uh, you know we would get you know massive amount of pain, and we would pass the needle back forth to the you know, and we would look at each other in the eyes, and we'd be like, okay, like it's gonna feel like you're about to die. But then that leaves. Don't get scared. <laughs> we would just, we would just could not stop ourselves from mixing up, you know, piles of cocaine, and we, we we used to shoot a lot of crack too. And um, but yeah, and that's we would just. My arms would always be so sore because I would jab myself twenty five times in one night with this dull needle that was like a harpoon. Whenever you pulled it out of your skin, your, your arm would just start bleeding because it was so dull. But, uh, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm glad to say that. So that was a long time. So she has 16 years now, and um, she's been one of the, the, the prime examples in my life, you know, that you can get through anything in recovery because I've seen her go through hell. I've seen her go through some very, very toxic relationships and stand, and stand tall. So she's been that tangible evidence for me that, um, you know, that recovery – you know, is a lifestyle and it's, it's possible for anyone. That's amazing. Um, what about your mom? Did your mom get clean? Um, so like I said, my mom had, my mom had, uh, like a decade and a half while I was growing up. And, but really ever since I was in high school, she struggled. She'd get a year here, maybe a year there and then would drink. And, you know, she's the type of alcoholic that when she drinks, Tremendously depressed and suicidal and wants to die. And she just constantly has been call for him. One four one zero days and all you know, and some days it's just some moments and some weeks it's just like she's okay. Like this week, like she's okay. But like I have no idea next week's gonna be like. Right. And that's a lot of people's stories. It's crazy. And also when your sister gets so much time and now you have five years, it must be frustrating. But you work in the industry, so you you get the point, right? Yeah, exactly. And I mean, it's like, like I said, we just, we all hit different bottoms and, you know, sometimes it clicks for us, you know, earlier than others, you know, and just because I have this today, 
doesn't mean I have this next month. You know, it's a constant spiritual maintenance that I have to stay on top of. It is a constant work, um, working on myself for the fact that I never returned to the life that I once lived, you know, but it is frustrating. It's frustrating to see, but see somebody not want to put forth the effort and not put forth the willingness to do something about it. Um, you know, and you know, the last time I was stuck, you know, I wasn't stuck too long and I'm not minimizing it, but you know, I just, I knew that's, I didn't want to go down that road yet once again, but it is, it can be, it can be disheartening. Do you, can you think of a time like, and I don't, I don't know if this is a fair question or just me being a, a sadist, but what was the lowest you ever felt? And like, do you remember the feeling and, and what did it do to you? I mean, just, I mean, just so many, I mean, just, just collectively just being in places that I didn't want to, like, I remember this one time I was this trailer smoking crack with my friend Brandon. And, um, it was like the trail, it was literally so dirty. And, uh, and I was so dirty just from running for days. And, uh, and I don't think I was home. And like I said, it just, it was always that same grimy feeling of, of not showering with the greasy hair and just, and the, the you know, that my mouth constantly was so foul from not brushing my teeth, but really just being in, in different places where, you know, I normally never would be you know and that's just and that was just part of the lifestyle you know uh, but of course you know every time I went to jail every time I relapsed every time I uh, was on a hospital bed from another overdose you know those are just the lowest points of my life where you know I wanted to stop but like at the same time addiction was just so much more powerful and so much more uh insidious uh, that I couldn't you know get a grasp at that moment right um I hear you and uh you had a song with Mac Miller which is a pretty big deal right how'd you how'd you hook up with him um so the, the studio that I used to go to um uh I'd relapse, you know it was in that at the time which is you know a part of Pittsburgh I would just, you know, I would always be there. And, uh, you know, at that time, too, uh, I mean, I think Wiz was like 18 years old. Um, and I would go and I would just, you know, I would see them and I would see them around the way. And I, I know Mac Miller was about to drop a mixtape of his called The Jukebox. And I remember I was sitting in the studio and I looked up at it and my producer, you know, my engineer, Germ, and I was like, hey, is he any good? And he was like, yeah, he's pretty good. And, um, and then just, I, constantly see him and i would be like you know we should do a song together and he was like yeah absolutely and uh and that's really just how that came about um and you know we we picked the beat and you know i, I did my part and he did his part and yeah did you know his his uh his problems with with drugs and stuff i did not even at that time, um, he was, he was very young. I mean, he wasn't, I think he was still in high school. <clears throat> I mean, he, at that time too, I know, like, I know for a fact that he just, I don't want to minimize, but he was just smoking weed and, you know, and drinking alcohol occasionally. You know, I think a lot of his problems with depression and, and, and this is just my opinion. I'm not speaking from, for anyone, of course, but I, a lot of his problems with depression, you know, and hard drugs, you know, really came after, you know, after the fame, like after he dropped the kids mixtape and started making like, you know, amazing studio albums and, you know, moving out to LA. I know he lived in New York for a little bit and, um, 
and, you know, and he, and that, that's when I knew that he struggled with, you know, addiction and, um, you know, and the harder drugs and, um, you know, so sad that, you know, that it, it eventually conquered him. Did he know your deal that you were this like hardcore fucking junkie shooting crack and all this stuff? And he, that, I mean, not really, not really thought, like I said, my engineers were, was, is really, was really good friends with him. And then my other friend, Bill was, was really good friends with him. And, uh, you know, I don't even think at that time too, when he died, I mean, drug addiction was, it probably was getting out there, but I don't know how much it was getting out there. And, uh, so no, I never really, I never really got, cause once he left Pittsburgh, I never really seen him again. Um, same with Wiz, uh, you know, so no, I haven't really had any contact with him, uh, in a very long time. It's just interesting because that, that is your style. And it killed him. You know, it's just a weird, ironic sort of twist. Um, how did you get into uh, working around recovery at all? Was it through the music that somebody was like, I want to recruit you to work with my clients? Or did you seek it out yourself? Uh, I mean, yeah, pretty much. <clears throat> um I didn't even really know that like outreach or, or getting involved with a, a treatment center or even doing, you know, talking to people and directing them and guiding them towards, you know, whatever local facility they have. I didn't even know that was a job. So yeah, I was approached by, you know, who today is a good friend of mine. Um, you know, uh, I don't know, I'm going to say two years ago and, uh, he actually flew here just basically just to meet me and talk with me. And, uh, and the whole time I'm like just looking at him and I'm just like, I don't, I'm really not interested in this. And, uh, I, I don't know why you came to see me. And, uh, cause at that time I was doing construction in the, in the day and then I was delivering pizza at night. I was working like 70 hours a week and, um, you know, my daughter was about to be born and, uh, I was just really just working my ass off. So I guess it was, it was longer than two years ago, but, um, you know, I eventually one day, like six months later, just like looked at his number on my phone and I was just like, all right, maybe I will give us a try. And the reason I decided to give it a try is because, you know, I'm answering, you know, 60 to a hundred messages a day on my collegiate Facebook page. And, you know, and, and they're all, you know, we'll say 40 to 50% of them are struggling with addiction. It was like, you know, I would really like to get involved with this so I can direct these people somewhere. Yeah. It's amazing. It's amazing because it's perfect. It's the laws of attraction. It's the laws of inspiration. And then you can give back and it can be part of your, your income because like, why not? Um, yeah. Throughout the time of using relapse, getting sober, using relapse, getting sober and everything, uh, were you ever on Suboxone or Methadone? I, so I was not. So I, I've never really taken Methadone. I maybe will say I took it maybe five days of my entire life. And then I took it the last time I went to treatment, I did like a, uh, like a six, seven day taper to get off of the heroin and the, and the, and all the rotten and everything that I was on. But, um, no, so I was on Suboxone for about three months on during one of my runs because, uh, because I was just doing way too much heroin at the time. So I decided to get on Suboxone and, uh, 
halfway through this sub, or you know this suboxone run. I, actually, I was probably on it longer. Let's we'll say like six months. halfway through this suboxone run, I started drinking uh, an abnormal amount of uh, cheap vodka every day, and um, I was drinking up to about a half a gallon of Bankers Club every single day, and then you know X amount of beers and. Uh, it got to the point where I was drinking so much that I forgot that I was on Suboxone. So I stopped taking it. Oh, no. and, that, and that I got off the Suboxone. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny, man. Yeah, That's crazy. So would you say your whole sobriety came through 12-step work then? Yeah, my whole, the, the 99.9% of my sobriety has been complete abstinence. And do you, do you go to 12-step still? I do. Yes. All right. Um, me too. And, um, now when you, you said the first time that you started doing outpatient and the first time you relapsed, you were in 12 step. So every time, and you, you also told me that you had one time before you relapsed where you had three and a half years. Yes. What was the relapse after that much clean time? Cause that must've been cataclysmically bad. It, it was not, you know, and, uh, and I was, it's like, I, I was working a program. I, you know, I was doing you know, meeting, sponsor, you know, fellowship, higher power, literature, prayer, all that. I was, but it's like, you know, eventually, you know, I would stop doing one thing and right. then one thing turned into two things. So for me, at that three and a half years, it really was just, you know, uh, it was a toxic, very, very toxic relationship that I was involved in with this girl that was a few years younger than me. And, um, it was it was crazy because it was a part of my life that I never experienced. I, you know, I met this individual and I allowed her, you know, I allowed her to to drag me through hell. And what I mean is, you know, I just I became so mentally obsessed with her, and um, it got to the point where like I knew that she was cheating on me, but like but like could not prove it, and it was killing me inside, and it really was, and um, you know, and. I've never felt this way about a girl. I mean, even though it was unhealthy, I still never felt that way about a girl, even with the unhealthiness. You know, we basically were just driving home from the mall one day, and this was after two, three, four weeks of me being around her while she would randomly do oxys or training. You know, three, four weeks of me not going to meetings, not talking to my sponsor, not talking to my support group. And she was just like, I really want to get high. I looked over and I said, yeah, let's just go get high. And um, and I remember, too, that I, I actually had a video on YouTube for a long time. But once my YouTube started gaining traction, I took the video, I put it on private. But I like I documented the whole thing because I used to always have a video camera with me. And I document the whole thing where, like, I'm sitting in my car and I'm like, you know, my name's Chaz Smith. I'm from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, and I'm about to throw away three and a half years clean. And basically just describe that feeling that I had of, like, obsession after all this time clean of wanting to get high and not feel the way that I was feeling. And um, and I just documented my life for, like, the next four days. But uh, it really was just behind these new feelings that I've never encountered. And I just I was tired of feeling like I was tired of going to bed every single night with this person next to me and like being so, but yet so disgusted with them. And I didn't know how to get out. Right. Was she the inspiration for drug of choice? She was part of it. Yes. Right. Yes. Um, that's a song you wrote about, and it seemed like it was yeah. about a toxic relationship like that. Um, yeah. 
when you relapse, aren't you impressed with my research? I am. Thank you. It's awesome. <laughs> right on. Um, also like when you relapsed there, was it fucking, was it straight to dope? Was it like, fuck it. She's like fucking with oxys and drinking. You're sober. And she's like, I want to get high. Were you like, we need to go get some dope. I mean, what we, well, what we did that exact day was, uh, we went and got four perk 30 and then the graduation, the heroin, I'm pretty sure was, was very rapid. Um, I think I used that day was clean the next used the next day was clean the next. And then after that, it was just off to the races. Cause like I said, I just had all this time clean and like, you know, addiction is very powerful, but still like in my heart, like I knew it wasn't the right choice. You know, I knew it wasn't like, I knew it wasn't the, the way that I wanted to be living. But like, you know, once, once I'm the type of addict that can't use nothing in moderation. So once I started, it was like all bets were off. And, um, you know, that's why I take my recovery so serious today because truly under any and all circumstances, I refuse to pick up because I know exactly where it takes me. Right. I've had relapses where within 36 hours have like lost everything, like in just destroyed every relationship. Cause I would instantly just shoot up. My skin turns gray. I just become a horrible person. I instantly stop eating and my life goes to the shit shitter. And that's, that's who I am. Right. I mean, it's amazing the way you describe it too. It's like, it's just like addiction and recovery is just like anything else. And when you take one thing away, like, everything starts to undo itself. It's like, it's like, if you like, if you're, if your roof, like a shingle comes off, the rest of the shingles are going to come off. It's the same thing. It's like, you need to, to be bound to the whole thing in order to really make it work efficiently. Um, it's amazing, man. Um, also like when you use, you're just fucking done. You know what I mean? It's like, there is, I mean, I'm the same way. I, 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 I got my family back together almost five years ago. I'm coming up on five years in August. I'm very excited about it. And, um, and I don't even consider putting anything into me because I know I'll lose everything. The second I do, maybe I'll have like a day where it's like, this is fun, but it won't be, I don't have any illusion that it could be fun. Do do, do, do you have any temptation still that maybe you're missing out on some good time or something? I, I don't. So, I mean, I used to struggle with like, we'll say like maybe new year's and like 4th of July with like alcohol. Like I, I used to think about that and, you know, I mean, what normal addict, you know, wouldn't like to drink here and there. I mean, it's an escape, you know, like I said, it was usually fun, but like, you know, them, them thoughts and then that, them feelings I haven't felt in a long time because I, I do know where it takes me instantly. And exactly how you were just talking, like my daughter, best friend i mean she really is i mean she's the love of my life everything i do i do for her and this might sound sad and this might sound harsh if i was to use today it would mean nothing to me and and i don't say that to like be cruel but like that's how powerful my addiction has been in the past where nothing else matters except for my own self-centeredness my own selfish well-being of getting the next one and if i have to harm you to get it i will and that's just the type of drug addict that I am. So I, like I said, like I stay clean for myself above anything, but like, you know, I have people in my life really count on me and like, and you know, and it's always been my job since my daughter was born to be the father to her that I never had, um, you know, to, to break that cycle, you know, to not have her 
grow up without a male father figure, you know. So there's a lot of stake for me, and um, you know, and I continue to grasp onto that and give me strength. That's amazing. My my sponsor shares about that from time to time. He talks about how much he loves his family, but the second something goes inside him that alters his his thinking you know, a mood or mind altering drug, he'll like go through the whole thing. You know, he'll destroy his whole family and, uh, you know, it's fucked up. It's crazy. It's like science fiction. The whole thing is like science fiction. I have two more questions. All right. Okay. In, in one of your songs, you, you say your name and that you refuse to be anonymous. And you said your name here, your name is Chaz. What's your last name? Smith. That's also the drummer from the red hot chili peppers name. I know he's Chad Smith. I think. Chad Smith, I believe. Yes. Yeah, I apologize. Uh-huh. Um, so like you have, but you do have the Colici alter ego or is it the same thing? Could you explain that to me? I, think, I guess you could say it's the same thing. So, I mean, <clears throat> I don't know. Many years ago when I was in Florida uh, on vacation, I was sitting, I was about to record my first song or it was like, I was thinking about rapping and I was, I was sitting on the beach and I was just like, you know what? I'm going to go with Kalichi. And my sister looked over me and she was like, yeah, I like that name. You know, and Kalichi was my grandmother's maiden name. Ah. Uh, so I, I lost both my grandparents in the same month, um, about uh, four years ago now. And uh, I don't know, so like the name had a lot of significance, you know, always to me, you know, but even after my grandmother died, it really took a lot of significance because you know she was the most selfless person i ever met in my entire life and that's almost kind of how i look at my music is is and sharing my story is you know to to be helpful you know to help other people and um you know and i i know they're watching over me i know they're proud of me um but yeah i guess you would say we're pretty much the same person i mean there's maybe some songs that i've written that i look back on i'm like oh man i shouldn't have said <laughs> but I mean, most part, yeah, that it's it's on me. What have you said that you wish you hadn't said? No, I'm not not like that. I mean, maybe just like certain words and texts about towards females. I mean, I mean, I'm just thinking about the last 15 years. I've written a lot of lyrics. Um, I'm sure there's some stuff that I wouldn't say today. Put it that way. Now that I have more people listening, I guess you could say. Right. And and what was that? when it blew up, what did it, what, cause it's like, I dopey is, is much smaller than Kalichi. And I aspire to, to get dopey to the level that you're at or whatever. But what changed in your life when you went from, you know, a thousand downloads to 25 million, like, what did it look like? Um, I mean, above anything, uh, I would say surreal. Um, even to this day, when I pray with my daughter, um, you know, I just, we, we really focus on, you know, the fact that, you know, that we have such a beautiful life and, um, you know, and that I'm alive and I'm clean and I'm, you know, willing to do what it takes. But I mean, for the most part, like I said, I was, I was working 70 hours a week. Um, I was, I was making a lot of money doing that, you know, and then, um, when I started doing outreach, I started making a little less and, you know, and, but then I started, you know, making money in different other avenues as far as streams and YouTube. And then, uh, you know, I've got to, I've got to travel the entire country from, from California to the state of Washington, up to Calgary, to Texas, I've, you know, I've traveled the whole country, you know, doing what I love and, you know, and that alone has been such, you know, an amazing blessing because um, I didn't used to leave 
my neighborhood for months at a time because, you know, fear of not having drugs, fear of whatever. Um, so, you know, that has been also something that has been uh, tremendously beautiful in my life. And, uh, but I don't know, man. I, I still just take every day as it comes. And uh, I really try to enjoy the present and not dwell on the past and not worry too much about the future. Um, I just try and stay grounded in the moment. But uh, it's been from where I was even like three years ago to where I am now. Uh, I never in a million years would ever think that, that I would be capable. I guess you could say. It's so cool. Uh, I'm very, 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 uh, you know, I, I am honored. You know what I mean? I'm honored that you came on the show. I think it's just so fucking cool. I think we should do sober house battles, Kalichi sober house battles, and you should yeah. tour the country when COVID is over and you should go from, from sober house to sober house and like do it up and shoot it. Don't you think that could be a thing? Yeah. I think we definitely could do that. All right, good. I'm glad you like the idea. Now on the phone, I told you I was going to ask you for a good dopey story a ridiculous story. And you said you would meditate and tell me a terrible war story. You got one for us. I mean, I, I have a couple. I mean, I, it's hard to determine which one's the worst. Uh, <laughs> even like I, the other day. Yeah. I mean, like just so like literally every single day of my life, we were committing felonies or we were just something bad and, you know, atrocious was happening. Um, but yeah, I mean, I could tell you a couple real quick. Yeah, let's, let's hear it. I love that shit. I mean, I don't want, want you to like put me on a pedestal because I don't even know if these are like bad stories. I mean, this was literally just like a, a day in the life of. Dude, and, don't, uh, don't, don't sweat it. You know, I mean, the audience is us. The audience yeah. is addicts in and out of recovery who, who love yeah. a good story. You know what I mean? Yeah, so I remember this one time, um, you know, I think I was like three days out of a rehab or something when I was like 19. And, um, you know, I was with my friends, uh, <clears throat> I was with my friends, uh, Brian Anik, John Fisher and Ryan Nabrowski. And, uh, so they called me and they're like, Hey, we're going to go steal. Can you drive us? And I was like, I was like, man, I was, I was sitting at my house drinking. I was like, I really don't want to, but like, yeah, I'll come. So I went, I picked them up and we, uh, we drove to a couple of stores, a couple of giant Eagles. I think those were like grocery stores where I'm from. And, uh, we, like I, like I said prior, like we were just so hot in every single store that like sometimes we couldn't even walk in <laughs> and we went to like two stores and they got nothing, but they got no steaks, no mock threes, no, no nothing. <laughs> So we finally get to this store in Bridgeville at Bridgeville Shopping Center. Um, and he's like, and they were like, just pull right in front. You know, we're going in. We're not coming out with nothing. And I'm like, okay. So I pull right in front and all three of them get out and they go to the store. <laughs> and they just come running out with, uh, with March, with all types of stuff. Like I said, from, from steaks, I don't even remember what they grabbed, but they had the carts. We used to fill up the baskets the carrying baskets with meat and we would just walk out the front door with them. That's just how we did it. So they got in the car and I instantly just took off and, um, I got to a red light cause it was in a shopping center and I made the first left. And I remember I got to the next light and there was a cop <clears throat> like catty cornered me uh, and I 
And I remember making the right and going right past him. And then like instantly he must've got the call because, you know, but the shopping center was right there. So he, he turns his lights on and just does a U-turn and gets behind me. And I don't know why, but like my friend was like, just go, just fucking go. And, and mind you, like I'm in like a 94 white Ford Escort. Whenever you floor it, like your top speed is like 49. But that's it. <laughs> I floored it, and as I'm doing this, uh, we're throwing the baskets of meat out the window. We're, we're throwing needles out the window, and uh, I made it about a mile and a half. And then, like, and I just basically made like I made like a mile and a half with this cop, you know, chasing behind me with his lights on and everything. And I'm just like, dude, this is stupid. I'm never gonna out, never gonna outrun him. But like I pull over, uh, and like as soon as I pull over, you know, I just I just sit through my hand wheel, and uh, my friend Ryan Lebrosi is behind me, and my other two friends instantly get out and just run through this residential house and jump over the fence, whatever. But anyways, the cop basically ran up to the window and uh, I mean shoved his gun as hard as he could to the side of my temple, and was just like get on the fucking ground, da 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 da. So we're just like staying, like literally just, you know, face down on the street, you know, and I'm just thinking to myself, man, like I was literally just in rehab, you know, three, four days ago. And I'm about to go to the county jail and uh, just sitting there handcuffed. And um, and I mean, that was it. And I just they handcuffed me and the next 10 days in jail. And uh, honestly, I, I probably the day I got out, I was back doing the same exact thing. Right. Well, that's a good dopey story. Shoplifting stories are always good. I also like that you target steaks and Mach 3s. I think that's good. I think that's really smart. <laughs> it, was just, it was just very easy to get rid of all the time. Of course. Who doesn't want steaks and Mach 3s? I've been using the this, this same fucking Mach 3 razor for like five years. I'm like, I should probably get another one, but it still works. Um, what was I thinking? You also say... In one of the songs, no matter what it takes, my goal is to die clean, Um, which I think is heavy. Uh, I, unlike you, I loved weed when I was young, you know, and, um, and I, I, I often will fantasize about being an old man, you know, smoking weed and playing guitar, um, because it's like a weird kind of pseudo reservation in my head. Um, yeah. But when I hear you say, no matter what it takes, my goal is to die clean. Like you never even think, I remember my, my partner, Chris, who died, we would, we would make jokes, you know, when we were in rehab, like after we had 30 years and we got hit by a car or something and we got put on a morphine drip, we'd look at each other and be like, Oh yeah, I remember what that's like. Like, do you ever have that kind of thought of like, you just wanting to have the feeling one more time again, or like, where does that sit in you? I mean, I'm sure, I'm sure every drug addict has that feeling from time to time, you know, um, you know, if, if I live another 30 years and I, you know, get the privilege of being an old person, you know, then I'll deal with that. You know, for the most part, no, I just, I really just try to stay grounded in spirituality. Like I said prior about like living in the moment, but, uh, I mean, I don't really think there's anything bad about fantasizing about, you know, maybe one day using, I just know for myself, like, even I think about like the average person about how they're like, Oh, you smokes crack on the weekends. Like I would be the type of addict, even if I was able to smoke crack just on the weekends, I know Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday that I would 
never be present in my mind. I would always be thinking about the weekend. I would never be able to enjoy, enjoy my Tuesday because I'm thinking about my Saturday smoking crack. That's how strong the obsession is with me that I would be so locked in, you know, um, so locked into the next time of feeling that feeling. So when I just eliminate that, like, no, like, you know, I'm not even going to give myself a chance to even feel that way. It's like, now it's like, I'm almost forced to deal with the here and now, you know, and I, Today I chase things like I'll look forward to the next time I go on vacation or the next time, you know, I, uh, you know, have the opportunity to be somebody that I really love and care about. Yeah. No, I totally hear you. And I feel like a dick to even throw this weird temptation out. No, there like that. no, I, no, trust me. I get it. And I, I look, I'm sure there's definitely been days where, yeah, I would love to sniff a, a line of Oxycontin that was as long as, uh, <laughs> I don't, but like, I, you know, I don't really, you know, I don't really think about that much to be completely honest because, you know, you know, what's amazing too, even about the program that we're involved in is that, uh, you know, it really does teach us about like solutions, even the solutions to my thinking, because, you know, I still suffer with distorted thinking and I still have crazy thoughts. You know, my first thought is usually always insane. <laughs> yes. Um, yes. They're, they're just thoughts, you know, they're literally just it's, you know, it all, it's all about my actions you know, and the actions that I do. Um, I love you know, I, I think that's brilliant. I think that's brilliant. And I, and I feel the same way. I know that if I smoked, if I smoked weed, I would be smoking weed constantly. And if I wasn't smoking weed, I would be thinking about smoking weed. And I know that as soon as I put weed in me, I'd be like, you know, I really miss benzos too. And then I would start taking Xanax. And as soon as I start taking Xanax, it'd be like, what the fuck? I can do anything, which really means I can do nothing. So like your point is well taken. And I, and I, and I think that's why you're, I mean, you are who you are because you know, like, and I'm not going to gas you up because obviously you're just another addict like I am. And, and it's not good for any of us to get crazy gassed up. Right. Yeah, yeah, and I and I want to say this too because I believe that it's it's important that you know anything that I've talked about as far as methadone, suboxone, and even marijuana, like you know if you're listening to this and you are on them, like seriously, like I, there are so many different pathways to recovery. Like I'm really just sharing my experience, and my experience has always been. You know, I have so many that message me they're like i'm clean i'm clean but you know i i'm smoking weed every day or i've been on methadone for 10 years like listen like more power to you like no it's it's really whatever pathway you choose to get you know to the ultimate goal hopefully that's your ultimate goal eventually is to be completely abstinent and build a relationship with god but like i'm just saying like you know it, it took me a long time to get where I am today. So like, you know, if you do smoke weed or you, you know, you use, you know, if you're on that medical, you know, medical assisted treatment, like, like stick with it. Like you're not, you know, you're not kicking in your neighbor's, you know, uh, shed for the steel as lawnmower. You know what I mean? Like totally. your life, your life has improved so much than it once was, you know, just continue to do it. Well, the goal, the goal is to have the best life that you can have. The goal exactly. is to have as much enjoyment as you can have. Um, exactly. I, and, and to love and to, you know, experience receiving love, giving love, being helpful, being a good person. It's like this day and age, there's so much terrible hate 
out there. And it's like, seems to be like worse by the day with COVID and, and with, you know, it's just a, a crazy time where people like are seeming to like get into the hate all over the place. Um, so I, I think your point is well taken. I was the same way. Um, and I had a weird idea about, uh, medical medicated assisted treatment for a long time because I was on methadone for a long time and I always used when I was on it. So I assume that yeah. would be everybody's experience, but what I've come to experience is, you know, everybody's path is different. And I totally agree with what you just said. We created a kind of like little fake movement that like the, the dopey nation is aspiring to follow, which we call the alt recovery movement, which one of the listeners actually named. And, um, it's basically whatever way you can have a better life and, and not be a total fucking victim to your addiction is what we support. If it's 12 step, if it's doing judo, if it's going fishing, if it's going to church, whatever it is, we support it. So I think that's, you know, you're on the same page as that, which I appreciate. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I I just always shared my my experience with you know being involved in a twelve step fellowship because you know myself and, and hundreds of my friends. That's that's all I've ever seen. It was you either you know you know doing what you do for your recovery or you were using. There was really like no like in between. So it's just always just been my experience. You know, in, in Pittsburgh, Austin. Well, I appreciate it, man. Now I've got one more question. I know I've been lying and saying I have two more, one more. Are you willing to do a quick dopey verse that I can slap on the beginning of this show? I'm talking about a minute. Uh, not now, not, not on the spot. You can give it to me later in the week, but are you willing? Absolutely. Absolutely. I'll, I'll come up with something. Cool. I'll come up. Um, later tonight and uh, I will I'll send it to you. Awesome. And I'm going to play all of drug addiction at the end of the show because I think the audience is going to bug out if they haven't heard it because it's like, it's so thorough and it's it's really, it's an amazing work of art. It's an amazing poem. It's an amazing song. Like, I'm, it's just like and a lot, and you know, everything I heard of yours I, I was incredibly impressed with. And I just want to thank you uh, for taking the time to come on the show, man. It's, it means a lot to me. Thank you very much. I truly appreciate you having me on. All right. Mr. Kalichi. Thanks, man. And uh, maybe we'll do it again. Maybe I'll bother you again sometime. A- absolutely. All right, man. Chaz, you're the man. I appreciate it. All right. Bye. Bye. So I thought that that dude, um, he's one of my favorite people that I got to talk to about this stuff because he's fucking in it, you know? Yeah. How'd you, how did you meet him? Well, I mean, I, I, like I was saying, I saw him on social media. I saw that he was friends with the guy who does the dank recovery memes, who I'm friends with. His name is Tim. And, um, and then a dopey nation person reached out to him and said, you should come on dopey. And Kolichi was like, oh, is that your podcast? And, and I think it was a woman. And she said, no. And then I saw all that and I was like, fuck it. So I wrote him and I hadn't listened to his music, you know, um, and I, I even lied to him, and I talked to him on the phone, and I had told him I had listened to the music because I just assumed it was good, and I hadn't until the day that I did the interview, and I was just blown away at how good he was. Yeah, I wonder if he makes a living from that. I kind of think he has probably has a job. Well, he has. this is what he does. He makes a living because, I mean, YouTube pays you at a certain point for streams, and he gets you know over a million. He has 25 million streams on drug addiction. Yeah, you get like you get like around a thousand for every million, right? So I mean that's twenty five grand right there, and that's just one of his songs. And uh, he also does outreach for a, a treatment center, and he also tours and performs. 
So he's kind of like the thing that was interesting that I didn't get to talk to him about was the way he basically turned his addiction into his job. Yeah. Well, a lot of people do that. I um, I wonder about like people like at whatever level, the small level of music that they're successful, but they're successful because they tour and they play like whatever clubs that are like 500 capacity. Their, their career is over. It is. It is a frightening moment for, uh, for professional musicians who only I mean, make money you're from Taylor touring. Swift, it, you're Taylor Swift and you can't play. That's one thing. But if you're like mountain goats and you can't play that, then you're fucked. Right. So they're going to have to start getting jobs, waiting tables, well, I think. Not, I, oh, but you can't even wait tables. I mean, we're at a, bra- a strange, right. well, horrible the place. The mountain goats dude is a psychiatric, was a psychiatric nurse. And I would guess he made around 80 to 90,000 doing that. And, uh, he said he makes a little bit more doing mountain goats than he did at that. But I guess he's going to have to be a nurse again. Well, there's a lot of work for psychiatric nurses right now. Yeah. And we're yeah. talking about, like, the question is, because I think you and I, like, have a... I sim- you you need a psychiatric nurse. Sometimes I do. And, and <laughs> I think sometimes you might need a psychiatric I, nurse, I too. I need 24-7. <laughs> um, I think, um, what was I going to say? I think a lot of the time, and this is something I'm definitely guilty of, and I think you're guilty of it, too, is and I think lots of addicts are, is you think something's happening so it feels like it's always going to be this way. You know what I mean? Like live music is over. And maybe it's over for two years, but I bet you it comes back after that. Of course, yeah. I have a hard time with that kind of thinking. I feel like when something's going, it should always be going. And when something is stopped, it should always be stopped. I- I'm just like that. It's fucked yeah, up. I, you know, I talk to you, you know, in private life and I hear you like, what you what you worry about and what you obsess about and i can like i see it objectively when it's you but then i do the same thing and you know and you see it in me so you know it's interesting about like that's you know very helpful and it's helpful in a meeting or helpful one-to-one to like bounce something off someone else i'm like i heard someone in a meeting say we like i don't think things correct i hear things my alcoholism filters things wrong and i don't understand them and i have to always remember that yeah, I mean, it's easy to make each other crazy, but that's the whole point of of having people to talk to, you know, talking to a sponsor, hearing yourself tell it to somebody else rather than just hearing the thoughts in your head, you know? And, yeah. and like, that's like the whole thing with that idea of connection is the opposite of addiction. Because like when we when we commune with each other, we, we find a way to think soberly uh, when possible. Um, the worst thing is, is when I enjoy the not sober thinking. You know what I'm saying? Like, I enjoy oh, going totally. on a tear. I enjoy totally. getting angry. I enjoy contempt prior to investigation. That's where it becomes confusing, I think. Yeah, I was, I was, I was talking to, you know, I was seeing that therapist and it was good, but it's the, talking to my sponsor is better. And last night I was saying, you know, I have such anger problems and all of these things that we've talked about, I've had really violent thoughts. Luckily, I've never acted on them, but my whole life I've had really violent like thoughts I wanted to do. And like, that is, you know, that's not the correct thought, but I don't know. I don't know what I'm saying, but I think when you you come on dopey, you get super confessional. Like we talk every day and you rarely (laughs) tell me this stuff (laughs) that when we come on dopey, you start talking about. But even that thing of like, you know, I was just watching bad content that wasn't good for me. Just like 
going down YouTube trails and you were like, Ray, you're in, you know, you need to watch good things and put good things in your mind. Watch the Beatles singing. Don't watch this. And that was correct. But I can't, I couldn't figure that out for myself. Well, I, I mean, I think I, I struggle with that too. And, um, I struggle with that and I struggle with like eating well, like it's fucked up that the end of every night, like I need to eat like last night I made two fucking s'mores. I had a, a fudge pop and I was like, you know what? I'm going to re- really go down the hole. And I took fucking two graham crackers. Like they make these gigantic marshmallows that are like five inches long and three inches thick. Like these crazy big marshmallows. Oh, I've seen them in the grocery store. Yeah. So I cut it in half, right? And I made two s'mores on two graham cracker swears with the Cadbury dark chocolate. This is what I recommend. If anybody's interested in a really unhealthy treat, you get graham crackers, the Cadbury extra dark, and the crazy big marshmallows. You cut a marshmallow in half. You make two square s'mores, 11 seconds in the microwave. The marshmallows bubble the chocolate melts it is a sticky sensation of pure delight but then i felt guilty you know you feel guilty about food a lot i i i don't i don't i don't eat quite like you do but dude you have fucking forbidden chocolate for breakfast (laughs) and you said you were going on keto publicly i don't know what why are you shaming me and and check it out you know what i've lost i gained a lot of weight and i've lost some of i've been swimming twice a day and uh, walking and doing a lot of yard work. And, you know, I just wasn't moving. So, uh, and I've been eating very healthy. I'm not on keto, but I've been eating just like, you know, really good. I'm experiencing you way more argumentative than you usually are on Dopey. You started it off this morning. You started that off. What did, what did I do? You, but I never mind. I'm fighting with me this morning. I wasn't, I was, I'm trying to make the best show that we can have. I'm, I'm doing my best over here. <laughs> me too. That's what we're both trying to do that. All right, Ray, I just want you to know that I love you very much. I love you too. We got interrupted for a second because uh, Linda and my sweet, sweet young daughter, Susan, wanted to bring me vegetables from the garden. And I have to say that the garden is not looking good. How's your garden? I don't have a garden. I have flowers. I'm not doing vegetables. Well, my garden, I think an animal like knocked over my zucchini. The biggest problem with my garden is that I haven't been tending it. And it's overgrown with weeds. The zucchinis aren't coming. Tomatoes look good. Uh, Cucumbers, they're picking too quickly. Susan just wants to pick them so fucking fast. So to eat them small. I like to pick them young. Well, um, next year, the garden is going to be bananas. It's going to be an amazing garden next year. You, you should probably put a fence around it if you have an animal. There's somebody fucking with the zucchini. It's just so fucking annoying. And the blueberries, the birds are eating the blueberries. Like, my flowers look good, but the vegetables aren't looking good. You have to put a net over the blueberries. I know. Next year, there's going to be a net. I'm going to have a compost thing, a net. And the fucking uh, box shit for the base, whatever you yeah. call that. I have, a, I have a compost bin. It's great. You want to know what else I've discovered? Yeah. Uh, we have a, a tree in the yard that I always thought was a crab apple tree. Uh, yeah. But it turns out it's a real apple tree. Oh, you can eat them. You can eat them. They're not great, but they're sweet. You know, we can make a pie or sauce. It's like a real apple tree. It's pretty nice. amazing. 
Nice. So I have a dopey email and a dopey voicemail. What do you want to hear? Whatever you want. Ah, just pick one. I, I don't okay. know. Here's the thing. Dopey email is a crack addict celebrating 22 years of sobriety today. Dopey voicemail is somebody tripping at the dentist. <laughs> I want to hear tripping at the dentist. All right, here well, we I go. saw the I read the email, but yeah. Here we go. Tripping at the dentist. Hey, what's up, Dave? This is Noah shouting you out from Castleberry, Florida. Just wanted to drop in with a little bit of a dopey story for you. Uh, it's about the time when I was probably 18, maybe like four years ago. And I was doing a lot of mushrooms at the time. My brother and I had gone out and picked them. And we were just picking them straight out of the cow poop and eating them. Which <laughs> is pretty gross. <laughs> but we didn't really give a shit. And anyway, so, you know, we've been walking around for probably like an hour and a half. Just picking a bunch of mushrooms and eating them. And walk a little more, pick a couple more and eat them. And then we are at this cow field and we were paddleboarding to it. So then we start paddleboarding back from the cow field. And my mom gives me a call. And she's like, hey, you have a dentist appointment at 1, don't forget. And it's like 12.15 at this point. So, you know, we hightail it back to the house. I get, I get my stuff all together, I get changed, and I drive up to the dentist's office. And, you know, the, they hadn't really kicked in yet. And so I'm sitting in the dentist's office, and there's like a TV. And then behind the TV, there's this fish tank. And... I'm staring at the TV and the people on the TV start popping out of the TV and interacting with the fish tank fish and like I'm seeing the fish like swim outside the tank and meanwhile I'm sitting in a dentist's office and I'm just bugging out and I almost got to the point where I basically like ran out of the dentist's office but I kept it together long enough and then the dental assistant comes in and is like hey Noah we're ready for you. You can come on back. And so, and keep in mind, this is a dentist office I've been going to since I was five years old. So all the people in there know me, and I'm just bugging. And basically, she brings me back. I sit down in the chair, and she starts going to work on my teeth. And I have pretty good teeth. There's no cavities or anything, so it's just a routine cleaning. And basically... But, you know, she's looking into my face and I'm looking up at the light, just tripping the fuck out, seeing like spaceships flying out of the light and like her face is shape shifting in front of me and it's completely spongalized. If you know what their the spongle album covers look like, her face had like six eyes floating around on it. And, like, you know, she's touching all the spots in my mouth with her metal scrapers. And I'm just, like, extremely uncomfortable. So I, I spend the majority of the dentist cleaning with my eyes closed. And she's trying to talk to me, which is just a whole nother thing. Because how the fuck do you talk to people when they got their hands in your mouth? Not to mention I'm tripping out on a bunch of mushrooms. And, like, I basically had my eyes closed while she was cleaning my teeth the whole time. And I... In my mind, I created like a topographic map of what my mouth looked like from my mouth's perspective. Like I was seeing through my teeth and through my gums and my lips. 
And uh, anyway, and then she puts this like mask thing over my face and she does this sandblaster shit on my teeth to like really clean them deeply. And I don't know, man, it just it was tripping me out and it took all of my wits to keep it together and not run out of this office. And like this lady who's been cleaning my teeth since I was probably five or six years old is like looking into my face and I know that my pupils are just blasted. And like, so she finishes up and she's like, all right, you're good to go. And I'm like, okay, thank you. (laughs) And I, you know, I gather myself and I walk out of the dentist's office and the receptionist is trying to, you know, reschedule another appointment. And I'm like, I'll call you later. Like, I'll just call you later and make another appointment. And I go and sit in my car and I have my friend Kenny come and pick me up. And, you know, he comes and picks me up and I tell him that I'm on mushrooms and I just got my teeth cleaned and I can't drive. And so he picks me up. We go to, we go to the Kangaroo Express and we try to buy some Polar Pops and they're like 69 cents. And I'm sitting there trying to buy a Polar Pop, but you know, money is not making sense to me. And the only bill I have in my pocket is a $20 bill and I'm trying to buy a 69 cent Polar Pop. So this lady sends, so I give her the $20 bill and she gives me all my change back and it's like all these tens and ones and a bunch of quarters and nickels and stuff. And then after she hands me all the money, she looks at me and she goes, this is a counterfeit bill. And I'm like, oh, well, what what do I do? And I, I'm like trying to give her back the money. And like, I think like, you know, I'll just take the counterfeit bill back and I'll return my Polar Pop. And she's like, no, I can't take that money back. I already gave it to you. And I'm like, well, I don't want to give you this counterfeit bill. I feel bad. Like, I didn't know it was counterfeit. And she's like, if you, if I give you this counterfeit bill back, I'm calling the police. And I'm like, I just, I just want my Polar Pop. Like, I just, I don't know. It's was 69 cents. Like, so I, she starts haggling with me and like, I'm like, seriously, like, I'll just give you the money for the Polar Pop and like, I'll leave. And then like, whatever. And like, she, she starts freaking me out. So I just drop all the money on the counter and I just walk out with the Polar Pop and I end up spending 20 fucking dollars on a 69 cent Polar Pop and I'm just frustrated beyond belief because I have no idea how money works and like I'm so tripped out because I've never experienced someone telling me I have a fake $20 bill and I'm like speaking while seeing through this topographic map of my mouth because of all the dentistry I just had going on. So I just run outside and I just wait in the car for my buddy after he purchases his Polar Pop. And then they, you know, by then, like, I'm just like, what the fuck is happening? So they, you know, they take me home and, like, you know, I just end up hanging out for the rest of the day until I, like, am a functional human being again. And uh, eventually go and get my car and finish up my Polar Pop and that's about the end of it. Anyway, Dave... Uh, that's my little dopey story for you. Don't recommend going to the dentist on mushrooms. Uh, you know, it doesn't really take a genius to figure that one out. <laughs> but, uh, I hope you're doing well, man. Fucking toodles for Chris. Bye-bye. So what do you think about tripping at the dentist? Well, he seemed to have a good time. It sounded like a terrible idea, but it seemed like it worked out. That it was, wasn't the yeah, idea. Was like, it was his idea to trip. What? It was his idea to trip, and then his mother was like, you got to go to the dentist. I wouldn't have gone. No, I would have gone, like, I can't make it. Well, 
but he did. It was just turned out fine. He was he was uh peaking. He was peaking. I love just his uh, enthusiasm. His enthusiasm. That was like, what do they call it? a heroic dose? He took a heroic dose. <laughs> and he, I mean, and he just and he loves polar pops and counterfeit uh, yeah. money. And I think at first I didn't know what kangaroo was, and then I remembered. I wrote a song. I put kangaroo in a song. It's like a Seven Eleven. Yeah, I don't know a kangaroo or polar pops, but it seems like that's part of his life. So I like it's like it. a Southern Seven Eleven. But I, I like that too. Like money when you're tripping, or like money. Yeah, it doesn't make any sense. And like phones, like a lot of things, just like what is this? Like, and you hear musicians talk about playing while they're tripping. But like, how do you? I can't even like make a phone call. <laughs> do you remember the last time you tripped? Yeah, exactly. I totally remember. Uh, yeah, but you <clears> tri- <throat> you tripped in Ireland, right? Two years ago. Well, I did MDMA in Ireland, but I, I tripping. I don't consider that tripping. But you know what? The other day, I was. Uh, I, years ago, I thought I would do a clinical trial where they test drugs on you. This is like the recession of twenty two thousand and eight, and you get paid like five grand, six grand to like go live in a hospital for two weeks, and they test a drug on you. But they wouldn't let me in because I'm vegetarian. But then recently, I looked up one too to have MDMA clinical trials for like alcoholics testing MDMA on you to see if it helps you. Like I really just want to trip MDMA, but I'm like I'm gonna you know I was telling myself I'm doing it as an alcoholic, but I'm ineligible because I'm too old. It cuts off at 55. It's like 25 to 55. I'm like, fuck. But then I saw another one that was psych, uh, what do you call them? Um, psilocybin mushrooms on alcoholism. And that I was eligible for. And then I'm like, what the fuck am I doing? I'm like going to go to a hospital and take shrooms. <laughs> wow. I mean, like, <laughs> I didn't f- tell my sponsor, but yeah, I used to eat them off of the cow poop in the, in the pastures. It was fun. Where did you see these trials? I looked them up online. <laughs> and they're in, they're in Manhattan. They're they're in Manhattan, yeah. That's crazy. They're all over all over the country, and you sign up and you go take MDMA and you you know work it out. The truth is, like I would feel exactly the same way. Like if I saw there was an MDMA trial, my first for alcoholics, my first thought is I want to do that trial. You yeah, know? it's completely okay for me. It's not a slip. Well, it's also um. Yeah, it would be it would be a total slip in the name of science and research. But I mean, like once I thought it through, I wouldn't do it. But I mean, I, I don't remember the last time I've tripped. Like I don't remember at all. But I do know that the second he starts telling his story, or the second you talk about money and tripping, it all just comes right back to me. You know that feeling of energy. Like I remember we used to trip and then go. Uh, our band would go rehearse you know, uh, at different studios in New York and like, you'd be in the elevator tripping out, going up to the rehearsal and that crazy energy that you feel, you know, like it's just so I, I, I miss it, but it's also like just youth. You know what I mean? It's like, it, it, I miss it. Like I miss being young, you know? Yeah. Well, I think I was 27, 28 and I, we, I took it up at Columbia university and we walked from Columbia to times square and then down to World Trade Center and like tripped out at the that Earth thing. And then we came back here to my apartment, took some more, and then we walked to Brooklyn and we sat in the park. I, that's in the song too. Of like I watched that giant clock at Union Square and like we took two doses, two full doses, which I've never done. Like we were coming down like twelve hours later and we took more and it, we went back up. That's the last time I tripped. When you were twenty eight years old, I was 
Yeah, like late 20s. I remember it. Now, something recently happened with you and and Facebook. And I find social media to be like, you know, it's a necessary... I don't know if it's a necessary evil. Sometimes it isn't evil, but it's like this... It's such a easy way to get spun out. You want to tell the story? Oh man! Oh, it was like, you know, and I it was so bad. And like I'm, I said I'm done with Facebook. But then I, I posted that thing about Tony with you know his that pod. I guess I have listened to another podcast. I, but I talked to my sponsor, and he's like, "Here's what we're gonna do. You're never gonna post anything political on Facebook again. And anything you do want to post, you have to." run it by me first and i'm like okay because that was you know it was bad all i did was like i just you know i live right by union square and all the protests start from here and i've been down there and i I wasn't marching because my knee is fucked up but i've been down there you know i'm down with you but the other day it was just like another one and there's helicopters above my apartment they're out there screaming i'm down there it's just they've been screaming for 60 days no justice no peace and i just wrote what if for one day those thousands of like well-meaning people with like a great heart did something else. And like, I don't know if volunteered here or did this or, you know, and I got attacked. I, people wrote to me privately and were like, you racist, you know, you, you're, why aren't you, you know, I don't know. People attacked me and then people wrote to me privately and they were like, I agree with you, but I can't say that publicly. And I don't know. I lost some friends and it was like, it was bad. And like, and then I had to go like, of course I'm down with the protest. Of course I'm like with this. Like, why are y'all attacking me? So I don't ever want to post anything again. I think social media is like, um, it's fucked up. You know, I, I try not to post anything real. I try just to post, uh, you know, dopey shows or pictures of my kid or whatever, because I don't want to hear about it from anybody. You know, I don't want to put yeah. an opinion that's going to get somebody else upset. And like, I saw your thread and like, the I, it's like they're deciding. You say one thing that says, "Why not today? You not protest, and instead you volunteer or you teach somebody how to read or whatever." And they're like, "Ray, uh, if people didn't protest, black people wouldn't have l- rights and like all this stuff." And of course, you're not against big protests. You're not against all protests. You were just making the suggestion that. On a day, you're allowed to do something else. And the thing that bothers me is I think protesting is great. I think everybody should do whatever the fuck they want. And I mean that. I just think that you should be allowed to say whatever you want to. But I guess... Yeah, my I guess, sponsor said, really, you were just upset about the noise. Like, just for endless screaming outside my apartment. And I guess if I follow through my line, they're allowed to go off on you. I just so, hate the someone, fucking shit. Somebody wrote, if we listened to Ray in 1964, we'd still have segregated drinking fountains. That was the one that, like, really blew my mind. Yeah, well, I mean, don't listen to Ray. Ray, 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 <laughs> went, Ray went from being a hardcore liberal gay to being a hardcore right-wing gay. <laughs> Even my, like, conservative Republican sister, like, came to my defense on there. And she's like, y'all are crazy. This Ray wrote the song called... Burn it down, you know, like she's Summer of <laughs> so Hate. Then I post, Ray wrote I a song called song Summer of Hate. I'm like, I wrote this song, like I'm as down as you can possibly be. 
but this is the summer of hate. And then the funniest thing is everybody's like, yo, fuck the police, fuck the police. And then Ray decided to actually have sex with a police officer instead. <laughs> yep, I fucked the police. He, so, like, that is the, the most mind-blowing thing of this summer of hate, was Ray broke his celibacy by actually fucking the police. Amazing. <laughs> yeah, the really hot, hot cop, yeah, who said, he's like, Everybody wants, because I'm like this macho cop muscle guy. Everybody wants me to be the top, but I really want to get fucked sometime. I'm like, okay, I can do that. I mean, you know, and then we had a, a long conversation afterwards about the protest and all this. He revealed that he was a cop and uh, he, and we talked about all these things and I got an earful, you know, he told me, and he's like, I'm a liberal. I'm going to vote for Biden and I'm, you know, down with all this, but you know, X, Y, and Z also. And uh, it was interesting to hear the uh, a cop's like take on it all. What I want to know is, after you fucked the police, did you floss your teeth with his pubic hair? <laughs> no. All right. Uh, I want to read a voicemail. Dopey voicemail okay. time. Um, and it's from a woman named Donna. And she writes, Hey, Dave, every time I listen to your podcast, I say I'm going to email. So finally, here I am. I love, love, love the show like many others. I heard an excerpt on This American Life. They discussed the episode that revealed Chris's death, and I had to hear more. Uh, First, I listened to the first few episodes. Then I needed to hear the ones leading up to his death. I'm sorry you lost your co-host. I am now a faithful listener. Here's my deal. On July 31st, which is today, um, I celebrate 22 years clean from smoking crack cocaine. So congratulations, Donna. That's amazing. Uh, during my crack days, I dabbled in heroin, but only to take the edge off the coke high. I never shot it. Prior to using crack, I had a lot of judgment about addiction, especially people who smoked crack. I always said if someone had a crystal ball and told me I would have a six-year addiction, I would have laughed them off the face of the earth. I smoked weed, drank, loved to drink, tripped on acid, a number of times, and the first few times I smoked coke, I felt nothing. I could not understand why people did this rather than snort it. Around age 28, I tripped on acid. Uh, I became involved with someone who was recently out of rehab. We ignored all the suggestions and advice to steer clear of serious relationships, but fell hard. Eight months later, she relapsed. I was devastated. I had the bright notion that I could somehow save her and the relationship, but completely lost myself in the process. The first two years were the worst. I didn't even recognize myself. After getting into a fistfight with my ex-sister-in-law over drugs and money, I realized I needed to get back to a full-time job. I was a designer. I could always generate income. I had just begun working in TV and film. I was now a costume designer, and through it all, I never lost my skill set. I did become a functioning addict, which to me sounds like an oxymoron. No one is really functioning while addicted to drugs. The endless cycle of procurement finally became all too exhausting. It culminated at 1.30 a.m. on 7.31.98, when my then-girlfriend and I were sitting in the car outside of a CD bar trying to figure out a story to get more money to buy more crack. It's such a vicious cycle once you take the first hit uh, of the day. It was like a finger snap or Satori. And I realized I could no longer do this anymore. At the time, both my parents had serious, both my parents had serious life-threatening health issues. And my 14 year old daughter 
had gone on a week-long vacation with family. When I got up on that Monday, I went to the library and got two books, a children's book on crack cocaine, because clearly I needed a child's version to explain why not to use it, and Lolita. Showtime had the movie coming out in a week, and I needed a novel to read to keep me occupied. I still smoked cigarettes and drank, but I knew I could get past five days if I could do it, and I did. My mother died 15 days later, and my girlfriend showed up to see if I wanted to get out the gate. I did not use, and I knew I was going to make it. I quit smoking and drinking in 2005 after being really drunk one night. My daughter looked at me with such disgust it changed me. I could see in her eyes that she had no respect for me showing up in life this way. The next day I began to count the days of not drinking and never looked back. Well, almost, for some odd reason, I kind of miss smoking cigarettes. It was such a social behavior, but I don't miss the stink of it. I started smoking weed again in 2012. Then I got into vaping cannabis in 2018, which I actually loved. But the cough that came with it made me quit last September. Now I just try to talk myself off the ledge or breathe through it and meditate. It works okay. I would still be open to doing ayahuasca or supervised MDMA. I do see Dopey as an alternative recovery. I never did 12-step. I went to a couple of meetings and never liked it. I've never really been into group settings. I really like the stories people share on your show, and it's an amazing community you and Chris built. For the record, I am by POC, which means Black Indigenous Person of Color. I know you get grief about a lack of diversity, but I now, I now know that drugs are not selective. I came from a privileged middle-class home, great education and wanted for nothing. What I can say for sure is that today I have no judgment about anyone using. I hope you read my little story on your show and it helps someone. I love your dad's involvement in Dopey and I love that he calls you David. Stay strong, Dopey Nation, and toodles for Chris. Peace, DA. I love that email. Congratulations, Donna. What do you think, Ray? That was, yeah, it was a great email. Um, yeah, very cool. What else do you think, Ray? Well, you know, I like how he like went in sequence of like I stopped this and then I stopped this and then you know, he kept he didn't It's a she. Immediate... It's Donna. It's a woman. She Oh, oh. Uh, she didn't stop everything like 22 years ago. She stopped smoking crack and then like whittled the other things out and then brought some things back and then you know, that's how real life is so a lot of times. You know, totally. I, I'm, I'm chatting with a listener who's like he I think he was on no, he was on K2 and he that's like the worst drug. And now he just smokes weed, but like his life was in shambles and now he just smokes weed and he's perfectly fine. So there you go. That's my point. My point is there is no one shoe for every foot. I mean, and I'll say it again, 12 step. I needed 12 step. It saved my life, but it doesn't have to save somebody else's just like, you know, we just don't want people to be suffering. We want people to enjoy as much as they can. Yeah. I think I need like regular old fashioned 12 step. I've discovered. And that could change or maybe it maybe I mean I, the best thing about 12 step to me is that after you get better you can ha- you can get somebody else better. Like that's the most beautiful thing of all. Yeah, I never felt like I could sponsor somebody in the last 5 years. I never felt like I'd had a spiritual awakening. I'd never had any of that. I just stopped drinking and then I started drinking again. But now do you think that could happen or no? I'm feeling no I'm, uh, what spiritual awakening and all that? Do you the think promises? it's possible? Yes. Yeah. No. I'm. I've 
turned a corner. Like, I think the promises are possible. I think spiritual awakening is possible. I think I can help other people. I think I could sponsor people. I can feel this coming, you know. That's awesome, man. You hear that siren in the background? Yeah. That's the 12 o'clock siren. Every day in my town, it goes off at 12 oh, o'clock. Oh, yeah. I, there's, you know, I paint a lot in Terrytown, and they have a fucking, it, I thought it was like a boat arriving on the river. This blast at noon that's so loud, you can't believe it. I guess yours is the same. Hold on. There seems to be some kind of an emergency. Ray, I love you. What, was, you. The, what was the emergency just then? The cat fell in the fucking glue trap. Oh, I, no. I swear to God, like... You got it out? How'd you get it out? It got out. I don't know. It got out before I got there. But um, Susan, the cat loves Susan, and Susan loves the cat. But Susan, sometimes, like, we play with that cat toy. You know what I mean? Like, uh, where the cat has to chase the string on the end of the stick. And Mm -hmm. Susan, like, becomes Robert De Niro and starts beating the cat with the stick. (laughs) Then she, like, starts stomping the cat out like Robert De Niro and fucking Goodfellas. She's like, fuck it. She goes crazy. And the weirdest thing is that the cat likes it. The cat doesn't run away. The cat, like, purrs and, like, loves Susan. It's crazy. The cat is, you have a BDSM cat. Yes. She likes being dominated by the baby. The baby likes dominating. And everyone (laughs) in the Dopey Nation thinks that we're the worst pet owners in the world. And it turns out Susan, like, gets off on abusing the cat. It's fucked up. Wait, are are we on the air? What's going on? Yes, we're on the air. Oh, good. Dopey Nation, I'm I'm, I'm, I'm half kidding. The cat... Loves Susan. Susan loves the cat. Uh, don't worry about the cat. <laughs> the cat is okay. <laughs> call the ASPCA. Yeah, call 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 feline services pronto. Um, I don't know, Ray. Do you think that's fucked up if a two year old stomps on a cat? Wait, is, is stomping or like hitting with a toy? Uh, I would say both. <laughs> I don't sounds borderline to me. It's borderline, but we're we're dealing with it. The, the, the cat Susan's very gent is not she's not gentle, but she can't really cause pain because she's very weak. She's a weakling. She's a very weak two year old. Well, she's two. <laughs> but Onyx likes it. That's the worst part. Well, Onyx is a kitten also. Like I don't know. She's but wouldn't that's and Linda's like we're all freaking out and screaming at Susan, but like wouldn't a cat, if it was threatened, run away? Yeah, I think, yeah, it will solve itself. Like, if, if the cat is, doesn't like it or it's too much, they'll, they'll run away very fast. Exactly. <clears throat> All right, Ray. Um, stay strong, Dopey Nation, and fucking toodles for Chris. Stay strong, Dopey Nation. Fucking toodles for Chris. Peace out. Bye, Dave. Bye, Ray. Peace out, homie. I almost forgot. I meant to end the show with Kalichi's incredible eight-minute opus to drug addiction in his song called Drug Addiction. It's fucking amazing. Here's Kalichi. Check him out. Drug Addiction. Kalichi. Kalichi. You see, everybody got a story to tell. Well, here's mine. My pain's deep. I've been through hell. I managed to survive, so I got a story to tell. Listen, I stand victorious. Make the sign of the cross. Look, I'm here to be the voice for every friend I've ever lost. Let me pray as I put together my hands. I've never been ashamed to tell you the person I am. When it comes to doing drugs, I've never been a rookie. But hold up. Let me tell you about the places that they took me. I haven't showered. It's been possibly a week. And I'm so deep in a psychosis. It's impossible to speak. That coke is in my arm. Now it's impossible to 
to sleep, my throat's numb, close shut, so it's impossible to eat. Losing weight's a part of my daily routine, I always use against my will, just praying I was clean. So nod your head if you understand what I mean. When I was growing up, I never thought that I would be a fiend, ever. My life's tumultuous, it's never getting better. Another abscess from my arm is getting severed. My exquisite vision, depiction of dereliction, livid living conditions, malicious on a mission. All these green tree cops, look, they all know me by my first name. Paramedics had to revive me, this ain't a game. I wore the same clothes for like the last 10 days. And look, I wanna do better, but I don't know a different way. Completely all alone, I'm sitting in this room. I empty out the bags, brown liquid in the spoon. I have to do a lot, can no longer do a little. The water's been added, I place the cotton in the middle. I'm sucking every drop up into this plastic device as I am tying off. I'm trying to find a decent vein of strike. I shove it ever so gently up underneath my skin as I'm pulling back the plunger to this blood in the syringe. I push it in and try to drift away to heaven. But criminals like me, that's never the place that we're headed. The guilt, shame, remorse, and regret I never address. And I'm a mess from all this pain and this anguish. I'm filled with stress, overdoses. I'm emotionally broken. This ain't a joke. I'm smoking on a Newport. I never have any hope. This is me. I'm feeling like I don't deserve more. I feel disgusted as I'm pushing on this burnt shore. Someone stole the vinegar in the midst of a blackout. Another shooting gallery, another crack house. On the porch, welcome to hell is on the floor. Man, I'm glancing at my arms and all I ever see is sore tracks. I'm feeling filthy, dirty needles with the orange caps peeking out the window. Someone whispers, lock the door latch. We're blasting off, departing from this mothership. I look around as others search the carpet for another hit. Crest whitening strips and Mach 3s. I'm on a suicidal mission till these cops try to stop me. We boosted every day selling steaks for half price. Any dream I ever had was shattered by glass pipes. Glass rose, devil got me in his lasso. Enter the gates of hell and I didn't even have a passcode. I'm hard-headed, I will never learn my lesson. You know the drill, commit a crime and get arrested. The misery never ends, I spend another week in jail. I don't have have friends, family never paid my bill, so I would withdraw and kick on that concrete floor. I feel I've had enough, but my body is screaming more. The food is horrible, but I haven't eaten in days. No reason to call home, cause I got nothing left to say. I'm tired of this jail, I don't ever wanna see prison. Look, I'm tired and exhausted from this life that I am living. I would get a couple days clean and say that I was done. But every time I got released, I was back on the run. It's back to thieving, lying, robbing, and ripping and running. These problems I don't solve them, I'm crippled and sick to my stomach. I hang with Prostitutes and these deadly degenerates I'm homeless for the moment But that's really quite irrelevant The only thing that matters in life is my next high I gotta be willing to change and give it my best try I'm a servant and this heroine's my king I'm feeling like a slave as I dangle from these puppet strings I'm just a marionette, I'm staring at death As I am carrying regrets that are just tearing through my flesh We're dealing with a topic we're so careless to neglect We're dealing with a dilemma leaving every parent stressed I'm so sick and tired though of being sick and tired But then it finally happened motivated by desire. I hit this point, I wanted to change. Enough is enough. My effort's been exhausted and I'm tired of being stuck. My faith is never blind in my future, I barely see. But overnight was open-minded. I had this moment of clarity. So it begins and it's essential, I believe. Cause if it worked for you, then it just has to work for me. Through all this pain, there's gotta be a positive message. I talked about the past, now let's talk about the present. I'm no longer living that way for me, it's a blessing. But with one bad decision, I am back in that obsession. And no three was diagnosed with hepatitis C I utilize the bad It's always been the fuel for driving me And then you ask me Why do I give us my all? I'm not trying to see rest in peace On my Facebook wall I got clean in 05 And started rapping I started touching lies I never thought that this would happen The shit today Trust me it isn't heroin It's killing everybody In the comments are disparaging No one cares I guess a fuck that I'm clean For them another deadly overdose
overdose, it's just something to say. Look, I pay attention to every post that I read as you were sitting there judging in front of your iPhone screen. Talking about these dying addicts and how they are worthless. And if they put a needle in the arm, then they deserve it. But that's someone's mother, someone's uncle, someone's daughter. And that's someone's aunt, someone's son, and someone's father. As I rap, the shit is giving me chills. And I'm speaking off experience, that's how I know it's real. These ignorant motherfuckers will say it's not a disease. And look, I really don't care. You can believe what you believe. I don't care to argue, I don't gotta give you proof. Listen, I was taught you don't gotta defend the truth. Incurable, progressive, and faded when less arrested. I'm expressing aggression with every sentiment confession. Once a junkie, always a junkie, you're boring me. The last time I checked, there's one ultimate authority. I'm sick of these remarks and opinions from all these critics. Cause if you never lived it, then trust me, you'll never get it. Be quiet, you're not allowed to speak about it. If you've never lived it, then you're not allowed to speak about it. How often you forget the only time that you should ever open your mouth is to eat a dick. Everybody is dying, it makes me sick. This isn't an epidemic, this is more like an apocalypse. So when I struggle, it's only right that I fight. And my experience recites on how that diamond saved my life. Look, you don't got a clue what I've been through. When I was at my worst, you couldn't walk a mile in my shoes. I survived a lot, so it's only right that I smile when I'm aware of my surroundings. I'm no longer in denial. I'm blown away by every message that I get. It gives me motivation, it's the reason I never quit. We gotta do this together, we must trust. There's no you, there's no me, there's just us. I'm doing this with courage, I'm doing this with pride. I'm doing this for every single friend that's ever died. I dedicate this song to anyone that's lost a loved one. So live your life, cause tomorrow may never come. Be grateful for your past, embrace it, don't get embarrassed. Every day there is more children growing up without their parents. I felt pain, look, I'm not afraid to cry. My life changed once I was willing to try. I've been given many chances, now it's truly do or die. I'm doing what it takes so my daughter will never see me high. I'm doing what it takes so my daughter will never see me high. I'm doing what it takes so my daughter will never see me high. I'm doing what it takes so my daughter won't ever see me high. I'm doing what it takes so my daughter will never see me high. Shadows 
getting smaller and smaller And it's high noon where I stand And I wonder would they pay it any mind When I leave this busted city far behind I'll take the high road however far it winds Because peace and love are very, very, very hard to find And I wanna be good so bad Wanna be good so bad, so bad I wanna be good so bad Bad desire's all I ever had Damn it, all these suckers make me mad And it's all I ever had And it's all I ever had And these suckers make me mad And I wanna call my dad And it's all I ever had 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 these suckers make me mad, and it's all I ever had, and I wanna call my dad, and it's all I ever had, and it's all I ever had, and it's all I ever had.